my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and trashy movies, brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan. And this is episode 22, where we're talking about the UFO cult, Unarius, and the film Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982. We're going to kick off with some music. Uh, This is a song by a band called Nothing Clean. They're from Leicester. It's from their album Disappointment, which is out on Psycho Control Records on vinyl and Esagoya Records in Japan on CD. This song is called One of Many, and so here's Nothing Clean. I'd like to take you a little bit back in time for my first news story. Uh, do you remember the rock band Travis? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. The rock band is putting it really right, uh, the kindly. Pop, the gash pop band <laughs> Travis. <laughs> <laughs> they did that um, Why Does It Always Rain On Me song, didn't they? They, they did. They were really shit. Yeah, well, they, they were around the same time as Stereophonics. I remember there was oh, a time in music yes. where, like, Stereophonics and Travis yeah. were, like, the things. And Simply Red was, like, creeping in the background. No, Simply Red was earlier, but it was like those bands wanted to... Yeah, they, we'll do was, the same. Yeah. Bad times, bad times. The ghost of Mick Hucknall. Was, uh, <laughs> Lives on in Fran Healy. Touching them on the bottom <laughs> while they were singing. What's, yeah. Well, so it's interesting that you, you've just named the man. Well, he was that Travis. little dweeb. Yeah, well, I rem- uh, he was the one with the little flat peak cap mm. and he looked like a dweeby little face. knew his first name and surname. Yeah, I know, that's well, bad. Ooh. Did you know that Fran Healy was recently mauled by a sausage dog <laughs> that he tried to save from. <laughs> the- <laughs> That he tried to save from a car crash near his home in Los Angeles, oh. and that when a neighbour called an ambulance, a fire engine with five Calvin Klein models turned up instead, and they told him <laughs> to go to A and E. Sorry, just going to track this back. So Fran Healy sees a car crash, ah, and then tries to save the dog from it. Yeah, but the dog. A sausage dog. Sausage dog. Notoriously small. <laughs> mauls him to the point that he needs medical attention. So, this story just it's needs wonderful. to be read out loud. It yeah. doesn't need anything more. Travis Singer, Fran Healy, says there was so much blood <laughs> after he was mauled by a runaway sausage dog that he tries to save from the middle of a car crash. Uh, the musician, he lives in Los Angeles now, apparently, and he had How? to drive to hospital. And uh, he took a picture of his hand that had been mauled, and I'll be honest... Nothing. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's got three plasters on ugh. it. And there is, I mean, it does look like a bit of a gash under, and obviously you can't, don't know what's under the plasters, but come on, Fran Healy from Travis. <laughs> 
He said that he jumped out of his car after seeing three other vehicles that had jackknifed near his home. And the sausage dog was running in the middle of the chaos. So he did a nice thing. So he, (laughs) a quote from him, cars bombed down our hill and it would have been toast. So I tried to pick it up and it mauled the shit out of my left hand. (laughs) Which is important because apparently, who would have known it? He's still banging away on that guitar, this Ron Healy. Yeah, this little thing. He held on, hoping to chuck the dog onto his porch, but then it slipped out and bolted off, said Healy. (laughs) The 48-year-old said a neighbour called an ambulance, but a fire engine with five Calvin Klein models turned up and suggested he go to (laughs) A&E. The star added, it just gets weirder and weirder, this is my favourite bit of the story. The star added, the dog is fine. He was cornered at the bottom of our hill, and the owner, who lives in Stevie Nick's old house, was was reunited. Just to be like, you just be aware of where I'm living, next to where Stevie Nicks used to live. Well, up the road. Up the road. Up the, or down the hill. Oh, well, that's sausage dog from Stevie Nicks' old ass, yeah. <laughs> Mould me. It, all of his quotes do just sound like a bloke from down the road, but he's talking about, obviously, like some star-studded oh, no. Los Angeles. Also, no one could accuse Fran Healy of being a bloke. He's like a prawn, if anything. Well, like I must say, shrivelly... there's a picture of him now from the V Festival. I can't believe the fucking V Festival's still going. Is it? This is in 2016. He looks like... Is he like a builder? Well, I mean, he's aged not great. <laughs> but he's... Got, I don't know, he looks like an old folk singer and he's wearing a Black Sabbath t-shirt. Oh, <laughs> like when your dad's trying to be cool or something. Kind well, of, but dad, he can't be sorry. that old. What is he, 48? Yeah. He's not old. No, I know. So, but he's dressing like he's an old dad. Yeah, Maybe he, he is a, a dad, bit. who knows. Well, I don't know. But, I mean, in fairness to him... Take your hat off. The best thing he ever did, because he's never done anything else good, he did try and save a sausage dog. He did try and save a sausage dog. And, Aww. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is wonderful. The sausage dog mauled his hand so he can't play the guitar. <laughs> so these are all positive outcomes. Something good's happened. Someone who lives in Stevie Nick's old house has got a dog back. Aww. <laughs> he didn't get crushed in it. I mean, three cars seem to have jackknifed, but they're always bombing down and that that's hill. That, I mean, jackknife to me is, is like... is what that lorries not, do. Well, is, yeah, lorries. isn't it like proper like turning over on your head? and so I feel like... It's definitely not something that little cars do and sausage dogs run in between. It is LA. They probably haven't got little cars there. Oh, true. They're not all driving... Monster like, trucks. They're not driving KAs and full Fiesta. <laughs> not quite. Not in LA. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, my first story is... Court rules Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos are legally people. <laughs> <laughs> this is the nicest uh, headline I've read in a while. What? Hang on. What? <laughs> Yeah, I know. What's it's a cocaine like... hippo? Is that a breed of hippo? <laughs> I don't know why they've called them cocaine hippos. But more than 80 hippos in Colombia are the first non-human creatures to be legally considered people by a US court. The reason is that Pablo Escobar brought some hippos to Colombia from, uh, I guess, from the US. I don't know where he got them from. Hippos had... aren't just wandering free in the US. I know. Well, I don't know. I don't I mean, know where he probably, got them probably from. Probably from a jungle or something, surely. They're called the cocaine hippos, I think, purely because he, he bought money. them with cocaine money, yeah, I guess. So basically, How much is a hippo? Fuck no. Anyway, go ahead. I don't, I don't <laughs> think you can generally buy them, but Pablo Escobar could, you know, locate a I hippo. You probably get a lot of different things. Well, I'm, sure it's not, I'm sure it's not the only animal that he had. But anyway, so the hippos, 80 hippos. Sorry, were you suggesting he was fucking animals then? No, oh, I mean, okay. as in he had owned other animals, not that he had them. <laughs> David. Um... 
The 80 hippos are descendants of four hippos illegally imported by Escobar. Uh They were set free after his death in 93, but then since then, the hippos have increased their numbers to more than 80, and they are reportedly wreaking havoc on the local ecosystem. Thus... So they're wild. So they're wild, and they're fucking the place up because they're not really meant to be wherever they are. So basically, Colombian government wanted to kill them. Uh And... An attorney has gone to the Supreme Court to say, please don't kill them, that's really harsh. And the US government, to give them rights, has legally recognised them as people. But what's the so US they can't government be got to I'm not really sure how... It's the law of Colombia. Uh, so it's gone to a US court because there's a US law that allows interested persons in Colombia to go to a US federal court to seek the ability to obtain documents and testimony. So... There's um, the ADLF, which I, uh, must be some kind of animal support people, have applied for hippos' rights um, in the US to give them rights as humans so they can be not killed. They're, they're saying they still have to be sterilised because they shouldn't be where I'm they are. I'm a bit confused by why the US would have anything to do with it, surely. I think because just... in Colombia they have no rights, but there's a, there's so a loophole where someone American in Colombia can go to US gotcha. to get rights... I don't know. No, it's not happened before. I don't think so. Yeah. So, what these... eighty hippos haven't just been left to run <laughs> in the wild in a presumably relatively <laughs> metropolitan place in Colombia? Well, I don't know where they are, but they're wreaking havoc on the ecosystem. So, yeah, they get to well, they they have to be sterilized in order to be kept alive, but they're not allowed to be killed now because they've got human rights and they have a right to life. That's nice. That's really nice. Do they maintain those human rights throughout life? Uh, Well, they're getting sterilised against their will, so So it hasn't gone well. But their right to life exists. I like the idea of them suing someone. (laughs) Well, they have an attorney, Luis Domingo Moldano. I mean, could they? Couldn't they? I mean, they're being called cocaine hippos. (laughs) Couldn't they sue for slander? (laughs) Seems a bit hard. I'm imagining these hippos have like little sunglasses on and nice rings, (laughs) and sitting there like tapping the table. Whilst Lewis uh, cracks on with their case in court. I like it. <laughs> Sniffing. Yeah. Going, in the, going in the toilet a couple of too, okay. too many times. Cocaine hippos. But yeah, so <laughs> the cocaine hippos have rights. It's nice. They're legally people. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, on a, another legal note, did you hear about the nurse who lost a lawsuit because she claimed that the hospital that she worked in hypnotised her to make her fart at work? <laughs> No, I'm joking. I, I mean, I don't think you need to be hypnotised. <laughs> Sorry, she's saying someone at her work hypnotised her and now she farts. Well, strap in, because I will say it's a bit of a sad story in a way because this woman's obviously extremely mentally ill, but Aww. we are probably now going to laugh at her. So just there's a trigger warning for you. Um, a nurse lost the lawsuit that she filed against an NHS hospital in Ealing in London. Uh, Zander Sampson sued, claiming the medical institution wrongfully dismissed her. She complained to the employment tribunal that the hospital had subjected her to something called idiomotor phenomenon, and it's supposed to hypn. <laughs> That's a supposed hypnotic concept that forces the subject to perform small involuntary movements. Sounds ah, a bit pointless to me. It does sound a bit According to Sampson, she claims the hospital used low-frequency sound waves to possess her. Supposedly, evil people in charge of the institution attacked her private parts and forced <laughs> her to fart publicly. <laughs> Ealing Hospital, on the other hand, said that she suffers from mental health. <laughs> oh, of course she does. <laughs> Bless her heart. 
So this woman basically is obviously suffering from mental health problems. She worked on an acute medical unit. It's not a psychiatric uh, unit, but her hospital was getting very concerned because she wasn't really uh, fit to work. Uh, she sent an email that said, I would like to report an observed pattern of likely inappropriate use of hypnosis, <laughs> idiomotor phenomenon in my NHS workplace. In the last three months that I have worked in the department, I have experienced odd symptoms, which I think is likely related to the above phenomenon. <laughs> she claims to be a healthy individual. I love that, She's... like, you randomly start farting and you think, it's probably not that I, I don't know, maybe eat a bit more broccoli than I used to, or I don't know, it could be anything, <laughs> but it must be that my hospital are performing idio, some idiomotor. Well, yeah, I looked hypnosis. up idiomotor hypnosis. It is actually a genuine thing. Uh, it seems very pointless. <laughs> um, it's basically a hypnosis which makes you do really pointless acts. Mine, very minor, pointless acts, from what I can make out. Oh. It's got something to do with spiritualism from the 1840s, and it's suggested on uh, some of the descriptions, suggest that things like Ouija boards... Yeah, I was thinking ...are that. kind of a version of it, in like, as much as you almost hypnotise yourself if you believe in it. And then yeah, and you, that's a tiny thing. movement. Automatic writing is the same sort of thing. Oh, okay. So... Oh. I don't really see the point. I don't can't imagine why anyone would want a nurse to fart more. <laughs> um, um, Not more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she'd seen a van in the parking lot near the area, mm-hmm. so she believes that this van carries some sort of audio equipment. Oh, so I mean, it's oh, very dear. much all just a paranoid uh, delusion. Yeah, having love. so she was offered help by the sounds of things from a, a hospital and. She refused it all, so after it got to a point where she wasn't really fit to do her job, she was sacked. Oh, that's a um, shame. Interestingly, having said that they were doing all of this stuff and argued that they were doing this stuff and there was people parked outside in vans and what have you, mm. uh, when she did got get sacked, uh, she took them to the employment tribunal and said that they had only sacked her because she was mentally ill. Oh, so, mm, so, okay. I presume that her solicitor mm, probably had something yeah. to do with that <laughs> I argument. imagine that she's, like, not of that belief. <laughs> yeah. Bless. Oh, but still, it's quite harsh to sack her. I mean, unless she, I don't know, was she trying to do this hypnosis on other people? I don't know how believing that someone else is making you fart makes you a bad nurse. No, but I suppose if you've got it's paranoid a... beliefs and you're dealing with very uh, vulnerable yeah. people, then you're probably not going to be fit help. to work. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And I would guess... As probably a lot of people listening may know, me and Siobhan are both nurses. Yeah. And uh, so my experience of this sort of stuff is that people don't just get sucked out of the blue because they say that someone's making them oh, fart. Oh, God, you it have to... It takes you have a to, very long process. Yeah, it's a um, long old time. You get moved about. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you have to really do something to get sacked. Imagine being on the ward <laughs> that she was moved to. <laughs> Why probably, did you get moved And here? you know where they move these people to. It's the easy wards. It's yeah. the ones that's probably some elderly, like, care home or something. Yeah. And then this woman turns up and says, You know what they were doing at my old hospital? <laughs> yeah. They were making me fart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so I do hope that this woman gets the help that she wants, but I do still think it's fucking funny that she thinks that, <laughs> that, that a hospital trust are parking vans outside her hospital playing low frequency sounds and that these things are making her do more farts good on her <laughs> good excuse well somewhat oh, fart, a fart related story. plane drops sewage on Windsor man in his garden <laughs> a man in his garden was splattered in a very unpleasant way when human waste was dropped from a plane a council meeting has heard there you go man was covered in human shit myth. Well, I think it's not 
usual, okay. but can occasionally happen. So um, this man has complained to What, because to someone's his... done a massive shit on the plane? <laughs> and We've got to get rid of this. There's this just too, too much, this is... much feces on this plane. <laughs> We're going to have to drop the... And at Windsor, which means you're so close... To the, yeah. I'm assuming you're very close to the pla- where you're landing. Worse still, they might have just taken off, <laughs> and just one person went and did an elephant shit. <laughs> they're like, they're not even supposed to be gone. in the toilet. Jesus <laughs> Christ, we, we're not going to make it all the way to New York with this thing weighing us down. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, oh gosh. Right, so. This is all from Karen Davies, who's the counsellor. Karen, she's Ka- a, a Karen. No, 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 well, she is a Karen, but she... Oh, it was outrageous. She's, she's oh, a... there was shit falling no. from the sky. That but it's it was not massive. her. It was it's like an elephant her. It was like one of them cocaine rhinos. <laughs> no. So Karen is the counsellor, so this man okay. complained to his local counsellor, like, okay. hello, I was in my garden and the massive shit happened <laughs> on me. Can you please bring it up in the council meeting? So she does. And she says she was horrified to hear of this. She explained how his whole garden and garden... His whole garden and garden umbrellas and him were all covered. Oh, the cunt had a garden umbrella. He can, <laughs> he can have shit on him, I don't care. Plane toilets store sewage in special tanks, but usually their contents are disposed of once the plane has landed. Yeah. So it's very unusual that this happens. I know a number of incidents happen every year with frozen sewage from planes, but this wasn't frozen, and his whole garden was splattered in a very unpleasant way. It'd be so much worse if it was frozen, wouldn't it? A big block. Well, you'd pretty much you would die. Shit. You would die if it frozen. That would ruin you. his garden umbrellas. But this, but he he got absolutely covered in it. He was in the garden at the time, so it was a very horrible experience. It's a one in a billion chance. According to this other councillor, John Bowden, he suggested that the warm weather meant the excrement could have come out as a more fluidy item. Oh. Oh, <laughs> so it came it out as ice and, the, and the sun thawed it on its way down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Miss Davies, the councillor, says that the resident has p- decided not to pursue an insurance claim. He said he's not going to do that for the sake of a couple of garden umbrellas in terms of bumping up his premium, so he just has to sort of take it on the chin. Oh, uh, God. These people <laughs> are obviously all like... terrible. Did you say it was in Windsor? Yeah. Well, oh. he obviously took it all over his face. Good. <laughs> Poor Good. Everyone in Windsor should have shit on their face <laughs> coming from the sky. I love it. Oh, that's so rubbish. I can just picture these people exactly how that conversation how outraged he would be yeah and he's probably wearing a brown cardigan well can you hear the subtle (laughs) racism in her last comment the name of the airline has not been shared with the bbc though miss davies said it was based a very long way away from here oh disgusting wouldn't happen on the ba foreign foreign planes Uh. coming over here dropping shit on us Oh, these people can go and fuck them. <laughs> I hope, I hope that from this day forth, that plane company drops a shit on that man's garden <laughs> every, every time. time they fly over. Every time, like a like a, a scud missile. A scud missile. <laughs> well, on a slightly different note, I'd like to take us back again to one of our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit, sort of. A number of episodes ago, we covered the Satanic Panic. From yes. the 80s. Yes, uh, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Very it's good, very good. an interesting subject. It is. Uh, well, it seems to be rearing its ugly head again in Ooh. Canada. Okay. Are you ready? I am so ready. I'm ready for satanic panic. A group of overtly concerned parents have launched a petition to get the principal of Eden High School in St. Catharines, Ontario, fired. And the reasons for the demands are 
that Sharon Burns has professed her love for heavy metal and, worse still on her Instagram page, shared a picture of herself wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt, doing devil horns, and her number plate is Iron Maiden. Oh, dear. Um, Oh, dear. And so that principle needs to fucking go, I guess. What? Yeah. So... What's Canada like? I thought Canada. I thought, I thought Canadians loved heavy metal. Well, I guess. I thought that was. I thought it was massive. And how were Iron Maiden in any way <laughs> threatening anybody's children? <laughs> These old men singing about mostly war nowadays. They don't yeah. even sing about demons and things. It's not even like. Yeah, it's not even that bad. What? So, what has the principal got to do with this? So, basically, am I to assume? Sorry that. It's one of the students who's put a picture up on Instagram of her in an Iron Maiden t-shirt. No, no, she's put a picture of herself up at an Iron Maiden gig, outside an Iron Maiden gig with a... The principal has? Yeah. Right. Because why wouldn't you? If you went to see Iron Maiden... Yeah. Yeah, if we went... We've got pictures on our Instagrams of us. Oh, gosh. You've got some really dodgy ones from the last time we went to see Kiss. Oh, right. In the petition, the parents claim that the principal's hobbies, i.e. listening to Iron Maiden and going to see Iron Maiden live, could have a negative effect on the impressionable children at the high school. We are deeply disturbed that the principal assigned to the school blatantly showed satanic symbols, i.e. the devil horns, and her allegiance to satanic practices on her public social media platforms. Well... I mean, I'm thinking of the poor drummer in Comeback Clit, who's a primary school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, gosh, if the parents knew. No, I'm, I'm sending joking. a fucking email around. <laughs> Openly displaying satanic symbols on a public social media platform that directly goes against the principles of the vast majority of families who represent the school is not inclusive, said the petition. Jesus. As parents, we're demanding her transfer to another school. So they Sorry. don't mind other people's kids. This is probably... You know what this is? This is the Canadian version of Windsor. Yeah. Because they Someone don't mind her the... having a job. They just don't want to teach her Just don't kids. come here. Don't bring it here. Oh, uh, It's horrible, isn't it? But oh, it's mad. Cares. It's 2021. For fuck's sake. Isn't also, there more th- more, worse, much worse things sorry, to worry about? Sorry, majority... There's no way they've got the majority of parents to sign this fucking petition. There must be, like... If there was, like, 500 pupils at that school, I bet they've only got about 30 sets of parents signing this thing. Well, there's no way they could get a majority. I think they got a majority. Oh, well, then... That's the problem. Then, to be honest, that they... fucking... Someone needs to cover that entire school in poo. <laughs> like I'm d- maybe this is how you should just deal with all the fucking <laughs> send the plane you know like when the um, presidents of important countries apparently have those you know the buttons that have all the nukes <laughs> I wish I had a button which was like just send a plane that way and drop some poo on them cause that head no. to St Catharines and Ontario and actually, those guys need to be do you know what get the, get, the, get the principal out cause she deserves not to be oh you just went a bit Norfolk then <laughs> we've not got to that section yet I know but honestly get her out and then send the ship plane over. <laughs> Done. Or you could just hold an Iron Maiden concert and then just make sure it doesn't hit the Iron Maiden concert. That's true, that's true. That's what Iron Maiden, that would be a useful, like a good use for Iron Maiden as well, wouldn't it? It's true. Just lure out the reasonable people out. Well, I don't know, are they reasonable? I don't know. That's I mean, not, sure, I don't think... I'm sure I wouldn't mind some shit getting on some Iron Maiden fans. Bruce can take a bit on the face. Bruce could have a lot on the face. He's, he's got a plane. He's has got a plane. Oh my god, he could be dropping literal Iron Maiden shit on these people. The whole band. Get, yeah. They could take off. They could fly over bucket, Ontario. Chuck it out. 
Everyone and they're old men. It would be grotty old oh, man shit. Oh, of course. And, and all they, their roadies. And they'd be drinking all of that trooper beer. Oh, and they're right old oh, poos. That would be brilliant. There you go. There you go. Wow. If it's, any it's members of this. Iron Maiden are listening to the Breakfast Punks podcast, you <laughs> know what are. to do. Get drinking that trooper. Get pooping in that bucket. <laughs> well, I think. I mean, with that trooper voice, and pooper. Go on. <laughs> I'm having too much fun. Well, yes. I think you've already moved on to Norfolk News by the sounds of your accent, so I think we better go there pretty quick sharp. Right, well, for this episode of Norfolk News, um, mm. I'm actually a bit worried that I might have gone to Suffolk. Oh. <laughs> as, as, yeah, I think so, it's all the same to the ladies and gentlemen. I right? mean, it's all the same to me sometimes. Depends if a football's on, not that they have ever given a shit. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a there's a huge rivalry, but what's we're, the we're, what's we're, the who's the suffer? Is it Ipswich? Ipswich. So Ipswich and Norwich football. Oh, teams they don't hate like each, each other. other. They do. They hate each other. But we're not. I'm not about that. I'm all about the love. And Suffolk's as good as Norfolk to me. And I might be wrong. I'm going to Lowestoft for this, and I think that might be on the boulder. That might be low. That might be Suffolk. That might be Norfolk. I'm not quite sure. Just pretend you're standing in Norfolk, but you've got some binoculars, right? There you go, and you can see. The whole and, of lower stuff, and someone has dropped their issue of the low stuff journal to me because that's where I'm going yeah. for these two stories that are low stuff related. Ooh, you've moved away from the well, EDL, fa- EDL, <laughs> EDP, EDP. Quite sure. <laughs> right. Well, this is the headline in mm-hmm. the lower stuff journal. Headline. May I repeat to you that this is meant to be very important. So catch your catch your imagination with this one. Mm-hmm. Discovery of personal items in wood not suspicious. Police confirmed. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, that's Did this. Did they think it was a bomb? No, not even that. Just personal items in a wooded area. And uh, they were found, and everyone was very concerned, somewhere near Gunton, <laughs> and uh, in the North, no, North Deans in Lowestoft. And whilst the items were left in unclear circumstances, they don't believe that anyone's been harmed. Do you know what the items were? Nope, doesn't even say. <laughs> is but, that the whole new story? Yeah, the whole new story <laughs> is the police were drawn to a beach found some things that someone had left and they were very worried and lots of police, there's there's a lot of emergency services in this picture uh, worried about these uh, personal items. So, oh, but, are they all standing around looking concerned? But they're very well. concerned. Yeah, are, yeah. D- but don't worry, personal items in woods is not suspicious. So you can all stand down, Lowestoft people who were very worried about what was going on in the North Deans. <laughs> I, I wonder just, how they came to that conclusion. I fuck knows. They did their police work, didn't they, yeah, David? But did they think that the person had run into the sea? I guess. I guess the worry is if you'd sat there and you'd had a picnic or you'd left your things do out. People kill themselves at the end of picnics. No, now. you might have been dragged away or kidnapped. <laughs> ah, gotcha. I think that's, but it's not. But clear. not suspicious. Well, it's not clear because they don't want to raise people's anxieties. In, in well, that sounds like it's more suspicious. <laughs> it all sounds very suspicious, to be honest. I just liked that. That the headline was quite. Shit. They felt like they had to <laughs> had to report that they found some things in the woods, but don't worry, we don't think it's important. But we better let you know because we've worried you. <laughs> but another Lowestoft story I've got for you. You want to be unvaccinated? Go to Lowestoft, rock legends jab at town. What? Jane Simmons. What the fuck? <laughs> Jane Simmons has been on ITV's Good Morning Britain right. last Friday. And he I said, thought Kiss were on tour. They're doing their last ever tour in America. He is. He? He's in Las Vegas, but he he went on the uh, gotcha. you know on the Skype internet, on the net, internet um, yep. 
camera. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's basically a bit fed up with us Brits not getting vaccinated. Right. And Gene Simmons is a very opinionated man. Yeah. And has to have life. an opinion <laughs> on whether the people of Britain have had their vaccines. Yeah. Um, very so, important as well. I'm glad Loose Women got that uh, exclusive. <laughs> they weren't Loose Women. It's Good Morning I'm Britain. Sorry, I'm sorry. And he said, when you get up to a red light, you must stop. And that's because it's not about you. It's about the other innocent people going by. Be respectful of other people and get a vaccine. I, I couldn't agree more with Gene Simmons. And I still don't know why he uh, thinks he should have an opinion on it. Or <laughs> what the Lowestoft connection is. And he is. said, so get over yourself. Look, you want to be unvaccinated, you can go to Lowestoft at the end of the country and stay on the beach by yourself. Oh, right. How <laughs> does he know? Don't threaten the rest of the Brits with your selfishness. Ah, but do you know why he knows of Lowestoft? Because I think you do. Oh. Do you remember little Chris? who unfortunately killed himself. <laughs> oh, my God. It was his programme. Do you remember? Was it Rock Academy uh, Rock or something? School Rock School or something, school. wasn't it? In 2005. Was Gene Simmons? At Kirkley High School. And it was Gene Simmons that found, you know, went to uh, those little kiddies' school and, and taught them the way of his rock. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't Lil Chris... Um, it was Lil, wasn't it? It like, was Lil, yeah. yeah. He must have been one of the first Lils. There's loads oh, of Lils no. now. No? Lil Kim was oh, Lil, Lil before Kim. he was Sorry, Lil. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. But he was like a male Avril Lavigne from Lower Stuff. He was a bit like that, but I mm-hmm. reckon he was about 12. But. Well, God, re- God what rest was his, his song. Son. Do you what? remember his song? Checking it out. I think it was. Sorry, what? I don't know. I think it was called Checking It Out. Right. Checking it out by Lil Chris. And did he have a strong... No- you must have watched it. He must have been like no, a actually, hero. No, actually, I must say I didn't actually watch this programme. What, what year was Rockstar? 2005. So you would have been just of the age. He I bet put- you watched Oh, I actually, I actually did not watch this programme. Mm. I don't remember it. I just remember that Lil Chris ended up being... I don't know, because he put together a band. So no one, like, won, I don't think. Ah, but, um, but he was a, a North celebrity. then he went, on, he went on to make his own music. And then, and then yeah, he didn't, you know... He's, well, um, tell you he's what, killed himself. Gene so. Simmons, Gene Simmons' memory is better than <laughs> better than you would think for a seventy-two-year-old well, exactly. rock star. This is what fifteen years ago he yeah. met someone from Lowestoft, and he remembers that that's on the edge of. North. Well, he would he would have stayed there for a bit, I oh, would imagine. Oh, he would have. Yeah, gosh, I wish I'd known this at the time. If I'd really thought about it, you could, I could have, have been gone. In rock say, oh, all right, Gene Simmons, you want to sign my Lowestoft bus timetable? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or whatever else I have to hand at the time. Ooh, that's an entirely standard thing to ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. Well, he's saying, you know what, if you ain't getting vaccinated, fuck off to Lowestoft. Well, I mean, leave everyone got, alone. Well, I don't disagree with him, but I'm still confused about why Gene Simmons was, A, even on, I still want to say Lose Women, uh, this morning. <laughs> good morning, good, Britain. Good morning, Britain. I don't know. Like, was he a kiss touring over here is he is he well i guess they will be coming soon but they've been supposed to for ages they were going to play download festival weren't they well Maybe he's just doing the rounds but what the uh, fuck? well on the on the on the little uh screen that i can see of his face and the little blurb below it it says entertainment kiss icon secret talent gene simmons has revealed his secret 50-year passion for art uh, oh only because Paul, Paul Stanley, Stanley yeah, Stanley is a copycat, painter. yeah, exactly. Just because Paul Stanley's <laughs> got a few of his arts in the museums nowadays, has he? I don't know. He's yeah, definitely painting. So. He? Oh yeah, he's had like. Uh, I mean, they're all display, not displays. What do they, what do they uh, call them? Exhibitions. exhibitions. They've had Paul Stanley exhibitions. They're not terribly good, Paul Stanley's art, yeah. but they're definitely going to be better than Psychopath Gene Simmons' art. Oh gosh, yeah. 
Jack Psychopath Jim Simmons. Jim Simmons? Jim Simmons. Simmons. Oh, Jimmy Jim. The demon. The demon. (laughs) What, um, out of interest, was he done up in full Kiss Regalia? Oh, no. (laughs) I think he's got got a baseball cap and sunglasses on, and what I would imagine is his hat wig. Yes, he does have a hat wig. In fact, (laughs) how you've described him is exactly how I've seen every picture of him when he's not in full costume. He's he's literally got a wig specifically to put under that baseball cap. (laughs) It's a yeah. It's a wig. Da- no, it's not a wig dander. Not it's quite a, a wig dander. It's a wig hat. A wig hat. A hat wig. A wig hat. I don't know. Gene Simmons. It's not a look. He's got a lovely shirt on. But <laughs> no, you're not my fave. So you know, you're not my fave member of Kiss. You're not my fave member of Kiss who paints. But you have name dropped Lowestoft, uh, but oh, not, not in a very pleasant way. So I don't a really daytime know how to think about this. television program in the UK where you where you should be surely concentrating on. The last tour you're ever doing with your massive band. Well, he's he's waiting for it to end. So he's he paint all these paintings. I think they all kept getting COVID, didn't they? Oh, Paul did Stanley they? got COVID, so they had to. Oh no! They cancelled, but they've been really careful. And like, I think their policy backstage is like super on it as far as COVID is concerned. Maybe the fans have to wear masks and stuff. I've definitely what, for read the, something for about that this. For that ten seconds, they get to stand by them. They pay like no. They've changed. Cr- oh. Yeah, no. So they've changed all of that as well. So. Kiss used to, before they went on, they used yeah. to charge people. $1,000, I reckon it yeah. was. Something like that. And all they got, we saw a video We watched a live feed it. of them doing their meet and greet. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> and and it, it was so sad because they were literally just being shipped in. Then they got yeah. to stand there. Everyone would pull their face. And they, and they weren't allowed to touch them. There no. were all these rules. I mean, fair well, enough, Well, they couldn't really move because they were in all their gear yeah. or whatnot. So it was literally like going standing next to a bunch of elderly yeah. men dressed as monsters for like five seconds yeah and i think i don't think it was even a grand i think it was more i think it was like two and a half and i think they were like specifically said don't fucking talk to them yeah because they come on they go oh james you're my favorite look at the camera yeah (laughs) they had like actual security there to like ship people out as soon as the picture was taken they would appear and just walk the people away and then the next one would come on yeah and they wouldn't even move like paul stanley and gene are still standing in their like I was so sad, but I, but I did read, and I can't remember the details, but I did read that they've had to change that, and they, I think they're doing it behind a screen or something. Oh, which I probably still charging a, the big bucks. Of course. Dirty, dirty kiss. It's probably about as personal as it was before, in a way, yeah. but even sadder. Oh, well, that's Gene Simmons for you. But... Closed off name drop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, right. should, we move on? should we move on from the news? I'm going to talk like a normal human being. No, no, no you not. Didn't, did you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, it's time for a song, and I'll try not to sound too Norfolk this time. This is a song from a band called Slut Magic, and the song is called Help Me. They're a band from Brooklyn, and this song is from the album Trauma Queen, out now via rock hands records recently they covered britney spears toxic which is pretty cool and they're about to release a cover of dream lover by 50s i mean it's by a couple of people we had a a discussion before the podcast about which was the better version of dream Dream lover Lover. so dion did it yeah classic doo-wop dion classic doo-wop dion and bobby darren did it classic doo-wop bobby Bobby Darren. darren And I mean, I some would say there's almost no difference between their versions. I think there's a lot of difference between the two, and I think the Bobby Darren's version is a lot better. Well, you're wrong, because Dion is the best. Well, um, I love Dion, and we both agree that we love Dion, but I just think that Bobby Darren's version of this song is absolutely perfect. So I would like the listeners at home to <laughs> listen to both versions. Bobby Darren. Get your, get your Spotify going. And Dion. 
once you finish listening to us, yeah, listen to yeah, listen to the entirety of this, yeah, <laughs> and then and then decide whether you prefer Dion or Bobby Darren, and let us know. But don't, roses at gmail.com. But don't come at us with the Mariah Carey song. It's a completely different song. It's very bad. Dave can sing it to you. It, no, I can't. It's <laughs> not. The, it's not the same song in any way. No, it's but not. But Siobhan just thought it was the same. Well, song. I worried. I was like, oh no. But you needed to make that clear. <laughs> Well, I think I've been as clear as day. So, anyway, this is Slap Magic with Help Me. Welcome back to the Breakfast Punks podcast. We're now going to move on to the main subject of our episode, which is the UFO cult, Unarius. Yeah. I don't think that they would like to be called a cult. Or a religion. They definitely don't like to be called a religion. They consider themselves a science group, I guess. Well, they're an institute of science, I believe. But Unarius stands for, in fact, 
the universal, articulate, interdimensional understanding of science. Now, if you haven't seen it written down, you might not realise that that isn't entirely unarious. <laughs> They've taken a couple of letters from all of those different and words. And made a nice word. To make a nice word, because otherwise it would be U-A-I-U-S, which just sort of makes... <laughs> so they've done a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, clever, um, clever. These Unarians. Um, so the Unarians were founded in 1954 by a man called Ernest L. Norman and his wife Ruth Norman. Uh, they had met, uh, rather romantically, at a psychic convention. Mm. So that sort of points you in the direction that we're going to be going with this thing. <laughs> Ernest claimed that he had three wise men following him around with big books and he was waiting <laughs> for the right time to share all of the information that they were sharing with him. And when he met his darling Ruth, oh, yes. he decided that was the time. And so he started writing many books. Well, because I think the other thing is she's at this psychic convention and gets told a reading yes. that she also will like have all this information to tell everybody. She tells him that and he's like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Time to spill the books. Yes. So like <laughs> like me and you in this podcast, we've, of course. En- we've encouraged each other to do something silly with ourselves. They enabled each other to some degree. <laughs> Jesus. And that kind of sums up a big part of this Again, not a religion, not a cult, but a science. A science. Uh, science sums up a big part of it because a lot of it is about channeling things. And so in the first instance, uh, Ernest was channeling these three wise men. Yes. Um, I can't tell you much more about the three wise men because we haven't read the 150 books uh, that he wrote over the course of the, ne- the course of the next 20 years. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that there's information about a lot of stuff, but there is going to be some dead ends on this episode. Um, fundamentally, what they believe in is that there are 33 planets in the solar system with intelligent life on them. Earth is one of those 33, but it is the least developed of them all. And that the other 32, who they describe as space brothers... The space brothers! ...are waiting for Earth to be ready to receive their message, general message, which seems to be, if you could put it into one word, a message of love. Love, Uh, compassion and light. they're, they're, They're awaiting Earth to be ready to receive their message. And to join them in their worldly goings-on. Because yes. they all communicate and they're a, like a galactic federation of sorts. Not too dissimilar to the one that your previous woman with the implant on her head talked about. Well, there's actually a lot, of similarities, there's a lot of similarities between that. I don't know if you've not listened to previous episodes, then this won't make very much sense. But if you have, you'll know Thorhan. that I've been, <laughs> I've been going on about a galactic federation which is currently meeting with... Uh, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and the other prick and uh, having meetings about the about how the universe is going to go forward and how we're all going to find peace yeah. and all of this sort of stuff. So, the, the, yeah, so the, I mean, Unarius is still going. Yeah. Um, so they're based in a place called El Cajon in California, which is just outside of San Diego. They have what appears to be the most amazing building that I'm desperate to go to. Yeah, a thousand percent. Which is the Unarius... Uh, Institute of Science. That's it. 
it seems to be in a kind of town. I'm, you know, I apologise if anybody's listened to this and you, you're you're from this area and I get this completely wrong. I don't know, but everything I'm aware of about this town is that basically it's a really rough bit of San Diego. Well, it's where people live because they can't, but they don't work there because there's no industry really. Yeah. So it's just like a poor. It's kind of like a suburb, rundown but it, a suburb. I think a particularly poor suburb with but quite very a high susceptible crime rate. and very susceptible to religious fanatics. Well, <laughs> and also the property is very cheap, yes. which I imagine is probably the reason why they settled there and they settled yeah. there in the 70s and i would say that the unarius uh thing is very much like a 70s slash 80s yeah. kind of uh well there's two sides yeah. to it we'll get onto that because it's, too, it's it's quite interesting when it first started out if you look at any pictures and they made loads and loads of films so one of the interesting thing about this uh unarius thing is that they produced lots of like public access tv programs yeah. and lots of movies and stuff that they would share around. And so apparently, in California, and I think in some other states, on like public access late at night, you could be flicking through the channels <laughs> and you could just stumble upon these fucking lunatics <laughs> talking about their space brothers and all of this stuff. And they would make, yeah, they'd make like, loads of it is like interviews with, mostly with Ruth Norman. So, sorry, just to jump around a little bit. In 1971, uh, this guy Ernest Norman died. Or he didn't die, he passed on to the next... He went to the next astral plane. Astral plane. Because the soul is immortal and you just leave one body and move on to the next. (laughs) We've got a lot to to deal with in this episode. So good. Um, And from that point onwards, his wife, Ruth Norman, took control of it. And she is some sort of, like, amazing channeler who can yeah. channel anybody from history, from what I can make out. Oh, yeah. We'll but she's also detail. an incredible eccentric. And one of the reasons that I found out about Unarius was from a book called Kooks, um, Guide to the Outer Limits of Human Belief, which is an amazing book. It's on Feral House. It's written by someone called Donna Cossey, who used to make a fanzine, which was of a similar ilk. And I think a lot of the book is taken from that fanzine. And... Uh, there's a chapter about this woman, Ruth Norman, who is one of the most incredible people you'll probably ever see. Yeah, she's uh, quite a spectacle. And she was the one that um, you heard at the beginning with her lovely compassion and yeah. light and la la la. Yeah, she's like an, a very elderly woman uh, in the most amazing gowns yeah. you could possibly imagine. In well, fact, right now it might be worth Googling Ruth Norman, or you could probably Google her Unarius name, which is Uriel, which stands for Universal Radiant Infinite Eternal Light. (laughs) Oh, she's so good. (laughs) I love her. Uh, She is uh, completely incredible, and we will talk about her a lot more uh, in a little while. But let's get into what these Unarians actually believe in. Again, not a cult, not a religion, but a science. A science. So... Loosely, what they believe is that, like Dave said, Earth is one of 33 planets in this solar system that has or was once inhabited by ancient interplanetary civilizations. And we are really far behind in our advancement. We aren't allowed really to be involved with them just yet because we are so caught up with our past traumas of our past lives. Because another crucial belief in the Unarian philosophy is the immortality of the soul and that all people have been reincarnated many times over millions of years and so 
we have lived so many lives in the past and we carry karmic debt throughout. It's a little bit like Buddhism and like the Tibetan Book of the Death kind of touches on this sort of stuff. Well, there's loads They do of, take a bit from various religions. I mean, they take they? a lot from psychology as well. It is quite yeah. interesting because like all that past life stuff and that kind of idea of like psychological karma or psychological yeah. trauma, actually, if you use that as a metaphor, yeah. could be a school of psychology yeah. as well. You know, and they would very much like you to think that rather than crazy they would. I mean, for the record, <laughs> for the record, I don't think that. No, but, but you you could read it that exactly. way. Exactly. So they think that people have been reincarnated millions and millions of times, and um, and including people who have lived on other planets. So, for example, people could have been remembering lives where they've been on other planets. Yeah. So the way that they've decided that. Because the Space Brothers aren't coming to us until we're better, until we're good people. And the way that they do that is via this weird form of past life therapy that we'll uh, get onto a bit in a little while, which they do by reenacting previous think lives. Therapy's pushing. Although, again, yeah. well, that's could, what they call it, it. It could be a metaphor for some types of yeah. uh, slightly out there psychotherapy. Definitely. Exactly. It definitely rings true with a lot of that kind of like 60s well, and 70s, like. For, oh, go into a room and scream into a cushion yeah. for three hours, <laughs> and then you'll feel better. I mean, for example, the way that people kind of deal with that is like, if someone had a headache, they'd be like, "Oh, I have a like, I have this persistent headache because in a past life I was scalped." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's I, kind of the yeah. belief. Yeah, one of them said he had a bad leg, and it was because when he looked back, he'd been shot fifty-five times <laughs> in the leg or something. <laughs> it is absolutely wonderful. Um, so another part of this belief is that certain people can channel previous lives or other people who have been like in contact with the space brothers and uriel is one of these people that uh, is the main channeler but she can train other people other people are taught to be able to channel these things and that's kind of where they write these books um from previous people telling them what to do for example there's like a tesla edition where there's there's about four or five books that are written by a regular human being Saying that they're channeling Nikola Tesla from yeah. the past. Well, I think they created... were actually channel. Uh, they were that was Ernest Norman. I think that was one of his main. Well, I think yeah, but I think people have decided that they can do it since. Well, they're channeling him, who's channeling well, other people. I think. It's, it's I think very, the problem uh, is. Murky. I think it's not ex- extraordinarily clear because <laughs> no, in one of not. the documentaries we watched, there's a woman that's like, "Well, I'm not a Tesla biographer." Yeah. So you know what I mean? There's uh, yeah. people who claim that they can be in contact with various people. Yeah. And depending on how high up this hierarchy you are, Uriel, for example, can seem to channel everyone. Sometimes she's Isis, and Ernest was Osiris from the Egyptian times. <laughs> Um, One of the other really lovely things about this cult is that all of these different people that she's been, they've got an artist of some sort who draws all of these different people (laughs) that she's been. But we'll sort of, I don't even know if it's her face because the art is so shit. It's so bad, but it's like, but they've got it all over. So this this place in El Cajon where they've got the science, the Institute of Science just looks fucking mental it doesn't i want to go there so much but one but part of it is loads of this it's all in a very similar style this artwork and it kind of looks like the front cover of a sort of pulpy sci-fi novel do you know what i mean it's got that kind of tacky quality about very colorful like murals that kind of like yeah old art but like i don't know it's just beautiful but a big part of their belief particularly from the channeling thing is that which i think is a really really good actually 
is that like just making art of any sort, just doing doing yeah. creative activity is a really good way of like channeling all of the creative people that you have been in past lives. Exactly. And it's a, and it's a type of um, therapy. And they also go as far as to say that there's no such thing as imagination. So yes. when people claim that they can't be creative and they've never been creative, she just, you know, they... Uriel, but all of them dispute that and say, no, you have the power to be creative because you're just channeling other people. And actually, there's no such thing as imagination. Anything that you've thought is actually a prior life. For example, don't they describe um, 1984 when George Orwell write 1984? They were like, he didn't make that up. He's remembering a time from the past, from a past life. But one of the other really interesting things, I think that that just completely like skewers the world is that... By that rationale, everything that has been made up, yeah. films, TV shows, books, are all based on fact. Because imagination yeah. doesn't exist. So if you've written something down, that means that it once happened and you experienced it. And so one of the things, and this goes back to this fucking galactic brotherhood shit that I keep going <laughs> on about on this podcast, is that they bring up Star Trek. Yes, they and do. And Gene Rodenberry was a space brother. They reckon he was, didn't you know, they? Because Star Trek couldn't possibly have been made up, because imagination doesn't exist. Exactly. So Gene Rodenberry was once Spock, or yeah. whatever. He he was, he was you know, previous life, he was a member of Star Trek. Yeah. So that means that everything in Star Trek has to be a fact it's just what happens so and it's like an ideal it's how the rest of the space like federation is working without us yeah it's like what we're missing out on and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago but there is a really interesting thing about how Gene Rodenberry actually was a really philosophical person yeah and he was like imagining a a world without racism and without you know without any sort of borders or barriers and as a result he made a really boring tv show but he was hoping that it would like (laughs) incite people to be better yeah which is kind of weirdly what these guys one as well like some of their basic principles is actually really pleasant oh they're all i mean they are all really happy they're having the best they're making they're they're doing no one any harm whatsoever no i mean i'm not sure to sit through some of the films that they've made (laughs) but you've chosen to sit through that it might have done me some harm yeah but apart from that they're just they're wonderful and they're, yeah. and they're incredibly happy. They're mad as fuck, but they're incredibly happy. Having the best time. Uh, one of the big things that happened with Unarius was that Ruth Norman said that the 33 planets, the Space Brothers, yeah. were all going to land on Earth in 2001. Yeah. And as a result, she bought a big piece of land in California. Yeah. It's got a lovely sign on it that says, Welcome Space Brothers. <gasps> oh. They've made, again, in their... Um, Institute of Science. They made this wonderful like draw, uh, mural on the wall of the way that the thirty-two, because obviously we're one. So, yeah. And actually, isn't although this, ours is sorry, being built somewhere, there is a thirty-third ship. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> Which is being built as we speak, or might be ready. Yeah, as might the be woman ready. says. Who knows? And this was in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. But they are gonna land in this piece of land that she's bought, but. The lovely thing about it is that they're all going to go on top of each they other interlock. and make a, make a tower. They all interlock yeah. on top of each other. And they're just going to make this huge tower of spaceships, one on top of the other. And it's going to be a university where everyone goes to learn <laughs> the ways of the Space Federation and better ourselves. 
So it's going to be great. But well, it's well, going to be great. But the problem with that is, is that she said that it was coming in two thousand and one. She didn't have the decency to hang around because she died in nineteen ninety three. Um, <laughs> she but, would have loved to have been here, of course. Although I think she was very well, she clever would, in picking yeah. a year that <laughs> she knew she wasn't going to be I around. I think she was for. in her nineties. Well, she when was she forced to because she kept saying it'll be soon, it'll yeah. be soon, it'll be when we're ready, when Earth is ready, and everyone was like, "Come on, when?" And so she said two thousand and one. No, full well, she wasn't going to be alive then. Yeah. <laughs> but the Unarians, uh, despite the spaceships obviously not coming in 2001 no. they managed to use a beautiful bit of cognitive dissonance and they decided that as a result of the world events in 2001 i.e. Mm-hmm. 9-11 mm-hmm. Uh, that the space brothers looked down on us and said you know what they're, they're not, not they're actually not ready look they're blowing each other's <laughs> towers up so they didn't come they didn't come and so now they're still expecting them to come yeah. I do think that many many people did leave <laughs> this <laughs> <laughs> this Institute of Science after 2001. Yeah. And it's quite interesting to look at the difference. So there's... Um, we watched a documentary, which I would really recommend, uh, that's just generally about uh, Unarius, called Children of the Stars. It was made in 2012. And it is quite interesting. When you look at uh, when they were at their sort of prime, mm. and they were making all of their movies, and they were doing all of these psychodramas and stuff, they were like beautiful young people yeah. with this old woman sort of leading them. And there was loads of them. And they yeah. were all dressed up in these fabulous outfits and they were all fucking fabulous, yeah. frankly. And then when it comes back and they're all being interviewed in 2012, mm. there's like... I mean, I'm sure there's more and it was just that these were the people that were, were interviewed. But there's like 10 of them well, and they're watched, all elderly. And we've watched a few documentaries yeah. and it is the very same five people <laughs> getting interviewed, which <laughs> yeah. makes me wonder how many people are there. So... It is a bit. It's a bit sad in a way because you see again. You see all of this like completely fabulous behaviour going on. Yeah, and no one's being the, harmed. Like no, you say. no, exactly. Only they're all just joy. Having, they're having the time of their life, and they're, there's loads of them, and they're getting to make these movies, and they're getting yeah. to and be all on with telly the purpose and, of just getting better and being amazing, so that the Space Brothers will come. Yeah. And and having this wonder, I mean, I tell you what, if I was going to have a cult leader to lead me, yeah. it would be her, unquestionably, yeah. because she's fucking great. Brilliant. But when you go into 2012, and they're all just these old people who are still kind of joyful, although yeah. they're a bit more, I don't know, they're not that joyful, actually. But um, and they're all just sort of hanging on to it, and it all feels very kind of, it, as much as like the Institute itself still looks fucking great and I yeah. still really want to go there and they do a parade every year which we'll talk about in a minute which again looks pretty fucking brilliant yeah I don't know I don't really want to hang around with these elderly people in the way that I wanted to hang around with those yeah. like, like I'd, beautiful I'd, people from the past yeah. in loincloths like I don't like, really want to do like a past life psychodrama with them but I definitely want to go and be shown around that place and I want to join in the conclave of light and I want to sing their silly songs with their car so the so let's let's take the, so first of all we, I don't think we've described what a psychodrama no, exactly we is have we so let's get into that because again I can't really imagine these old people doing these psychodramas very no much I wonder anymore. if they happen and anymore. if they do they'd be really boring I think they do like past life therapy sessions where you have to sit there with your eyes closed and think but it's not like what they used to do if you go on their uh, website which is fucking beautiful it looks like it was made on windows 90 in 95 (laughs) yeah Yeah. um it's wonderful but yeah that's the only thing they do they just do therapy once a week i think that might be covid who knows well they used to live out their past lives through psychodramas, which were unscripted films. So basically, one someone would come up and say, look, in a past life, I'm pretty sure that this happened to me. And I was a bad person. Like, I was the leader of a group that killed people. I don't know. 
So she would say, well, you need to work that out to work through it and figure out what you would say differently now. And so everyone, just because of this person, will dress up as, say it was that man that got scalped by a Chinese um, old tribe. They would all dress up as these tribal people from the like 1400s, do some weird accents and act <laughs> as if this man was having all that happen to him, but maybe replay it in a way where he could redeem something and re- repay a bit of karmic debt and uh, then end up a better person. And no one ever knew what was going to happen. Some people had emotional breakthroughs. Other people who were nothing to do with it go, oh gosh, I think I was there. And just, well, uh, I, think that most of, I think most <laughs> of the people in these things generally just take on that role. I think, it, yeah. again, there's a little bit of like confusion there. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as uh, clear as... I think that they all... Pre- pretend that they are whoever it is that they are they do in the psychodramas yeah yeah. so i mean so it almost doesn't so it's like like you say if that one guy who got scalped if he had a mate yeah one of them's got to be his mate yeah yeah yeah, but then then i think there's a lot of like presumption in that respect where it's just sort of like well do you know what i think i was probably your mate (laughs) and then they and then so then i think also they then work through things like oh you know i think i had a past life similar to this and this has somehow helped me and somehow everyone seems to they can't really explain it but they all feel better they don't care they're having a lovely time they're going out into the fucking desert and just having the time of their life and the thing is they film these they might not film all of them but they film no they film them all because there's in the documentary it's a quite they, big budget looking thing. They show, yeah, they show the video library. Oh yeah, of course, it's bit. huge. The video library is like a massive room, and they just full of videos. Oh, and they have a huge like editing production kind of team. I mean, they all do it themselves, but they've all kind of DIY done it themselves. I mean, it's yeah. very cool. Like no, that. So, I mean, some it's of them, the ultimate they, DIY commune. Oh, absolutely. But just having like with a lot more jewels. And basically. like someone, <laughs> this is where the creativity comes in as well, isn't it? So someone does the music, and yeah. Someone does like special effects, and there's loads of. I mean, they're all really dodgy and yeah. they're all low budget, but they do loads of. Art as a result, pretty of it good. And those, yeah, it's fucking great. I guess there are a lot of people that go, "I didn't know I could do this," and she told me to do it, and I did. And yeah, no, behold, I'm doing it now. But there is a problem with that, in as much as none of them can act. And oh yeah, obviously, you can't watch obviously, it. if you're trying to chat, you know, you can believe what you want, really. But these people aren't really channeling some alien from the year, you know, four thousand BC or something. So as a result of that, they're just rubbish. It's just sort of people going, so hi, um, how how are you? Well, there's one. Well, I am yeah. Borhan or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then they get, and then them going, oh, wow, hi, what planet are you from? And then he's forgotten what planet but he's from. There's a bit where they go back to being cave people and yeah. they're like, woman needs to bring food. Yeah. I cannot bring you any food. Like, it's just really but fucking weird. But then some of them are doing it more than others as yeah. well. So like, yeah, some of them are like proper doing like caveman talk. They're just like having a you would see good on the time. Telly. And someone else would just be like, all right, how you well, doing? Should we talk a bit more about some of their followers? Because we watched a couple of documentaries <laughs> and a lot of people get interviewed. Some at the time, uh, which we'll talk a bit more because Jelly Biafra from the Dead Kennedys goes and yeah, sees them. We'll, and we'll talk a lot more about that one. Yeah, we'll get on But that. they're brilliant in that and they're from... That's in the height of it happening, like 1992. Well, that was just before she died yeah. as well. So it was still very much like, you know, they were keen on it. Like. Yeah. And then there's the people they interview in that 2012 documentary, which I think is where some of my favourite people are. <laughs> yeah, because um, they're mad. Because they definitely say some mad old stuff. There's those two women that talk to each other and they're like bickering old women. 
But they're like, oh, the reason we argue is because millions of years ago, I was her boss and I really didn't get on with her when we were on the space fleet. No, and they, they're were, talking they, about were like, they were super detectives. That was it! They weren't, it wasn't a boss. A million <laughs> years ago, in some faraway planet, they were super detectives, which they describe as these sort of hard-boiled, yes. almost like film noir, kind of like <laughs> that Mel Gibson and Danny Glover or something. And, um, and, and they, one the of them... They go, what did they used to call us? The elite police. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, the elite, was the elite police, police, wasn't it? <laughs> but, but one of them did everything by the book. And the other one was a bit of a renegade. <laughs> yeah. And so, therefore, they were always at each other's throats. And so then a million years later, on Earth, they, don't they always happened get on. to just be these two frumpy middle-aged women <laughs> who met each other in El Cajon. In El Cajon. And um, so then they were arguing all the time. And they were like, why are we arguing all the time? And then they look back and they realise like, we were met before. fucking super detectives. That's but then why. they all do it to the cameraman. They go, I knew I'd met you before. Yeah. You were the f- you filmed us when we yeah. were the elite police. You were one of the people that had to film us. You don't know it now, but you are going to remember That's it. it. it was a fil- <laughs> it was a show like Cops. Yeah. But just a million years ago. Years ago on a different planet. <laughs> oh, that was so beautiful. It's so dead serious. I love it. I think my absolute favourite man is... The guy who said the first time he ever met the Archangel Uriel, he was on a diet. And she she offered him some food and he accepted some fruit, but he didn't want any of the sweet stuff. She was trying to give him cake and all sorts of stuff. And then she offered him some custard and he said, no, I can't have any custard because I'm on a diet. I'm trying to lose some weight. And she left it for a while. They ate, they chatted a while more. And then she offered him custard again. And he and it occurred to me, wow, she's an archangel. And I had some custard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally what he says. And then from then on, he's like fully in. And now, yeah, well, it. this, I mean, he's one of the like older guys. This yeah. is, I think he might be in that later document. So there's a short documentary on YouTube, which is called We Are Not Alone, which was made in 2016. Yeah, he's in both, yeah. And he's in that as well. And so, I mean, I imagine he's still going. And he's it? in one of those original films. He wrote yeah, 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 yeah. it, like Roots of Man. Man, it so, was cool. I mean, that's sad as that well because he's well, he's just such an old person talking about this film, and then it goes back and again. He's just sort of like this. Sort well, he's like this Lothario of the film. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that was kind. Of, that's kind of sad because there's a few of them. There's yeah. quite a lot of these older people when they're talking about like, oh, this time when I found out days. that I was, you know, one of the space detectives, <laughs> and we made a film about it, and it shows them and they're sort of like these beautiful women, yeah, and then they just show them now, and they're just kind of like, wow. <laughs> Oh, but bless, she she sat next to a painting at one point because she learnt to paint and she painted a picture of Uriel and then she's just sat next to it and she's just like, I always get emotional when I think about it because she's channeled some artist to do it. Leonardo da Vinci. And that's one of the other funny things about this art. So all of this art is really shit. But everybody that's done it has channeled Leonardo da Vinci in order to do it. And it's like, I don't, I think, you you know, I'm not an art expert. (laughs) But I don't think I, I don't, I don't think, think he helped you. Maybe maybe Paul Stanley. Maybe they maybe they've accidentally channeled Gene Simmons and his stick men. Oh, they're so brilliant though. I suppose one of the other important figures in the whole of Unarius, in fact very important because I think he's in charge now. Yes. Is this guy who's known as Arterus. Arterus. And his story is very interesting because he's someone that joined Unarius. And then basically decided that he'd done all of this stuff wrong in his life. In and his he past kept fi- In past yeah. lives. And he kept finding out that he'd done stuff wrong in his past lives. And then after a certain period of time, he realised he was actually the devil. <laughs> and 
and everybody just accepted Tyrantus. Tyrantus. Wasn't it? That's one form. And it's yeah, well, apparently Lucifer life. has many names oh, in, of course. in different galaxies. Yeah. And, um, and so he became a figure of like, he played the role of Satan yeah. within the context of the cult. No, it's not a cult. Within the whatever the, the fuck group. it is, the group. They the were group. all wary of him because he wanted to yeah. be there and do good, but they couldn't trust him because yeah. he knew that he was also Satan. But Satan, Satan. <laughs> he was a he was a popular <laughs> vegan troop. God, you can tell too much vegan <laughs> Satan. Yes, but the interesting thing about that was they then played out over the course of I presume a number of years. It's never really that clear. Loads of they, psychodramas. They play, but it wasn't even. I feel like this was outside of what they were calling psychodramas. True. They kind of the whole group. Yeah. Did this thing whereby he was brought round to the good side. Yeah. And he brings up loads of like Star Wars and stuff because, of course, Star Wars was real because there's no such thing as imagination. So whatever happened happened. And so I think he might have said that he was Darth Maul in a previous life. Or <laughs> no, or he Darth was. Fate. Yeah, he's one oh, of the, the emperor. Yeah, he was the, the emperor. emperor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but they obviously played this thing out over a number of years, whereby he kind of came round to the good side. Yeah. And there's loads of art of him, and there's so loads much. of pictures of him in Psychedelic. Looks like weird Flash Gordon from oh, the yeah, like, Ming the Merciless. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly Ming the Merciless. Yeah, what he looks like. And I imagine, <laughs> in fairness, Ming the Merciless was real too, wasn't he? There you go. So maybe he, wasn't, he probably was. Maybe he was being Ming the Merciless in that Jesus. thing. I'm not really sure. Jesus. Um, but he's an interesting character because, like I say, he's come round. To the good side, and now he now he leads it. After she died, he yeah. became the sort of second in command. And he's interviewed in a few of these things. Yeah. He has a tremendous wig. Oh, his wig! Oh, bless him! Because uh, he must be old. Uh, yeah, he must. Be. I mean, now he must be ancient because I think we saw him interviewed in the nineties, yeah, and, he was, that's true. and he was old then. But the wig doesn't help. No, oh, bless him! He definitely <laughs> looks like a fucking devil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the devil would wear that wig. Just saying. <laughs> And this guy's evil doing for the Unarians would have been very serious because one of their other beliefs is that people's consciousness actually affects the world around them. So, for example, if you if you behave badly, then there's yeah. going to be an earthquake somewhere. And that fits in with their excuse for why the landing never happened because, you know, 9-11 happened yeah. and therefore we were, you know... That was as a result of that the Space Brothers couldn't come. Yeah. This was the other way around. Well, it's, it's, it reminds me of something, and we're going to get on to the Jello Biafra documentary in a bit, but there's a bit where he talks to a woman and says, if these guys are so good at spreading love and compassion, why aren't they interceding on all these world events that we have? Yeah. And she says something that I think is actually, sums them up, but I quite agree with, to be honest, which is it's not down to someone else to come in and tell us how to do it better. We have to evolve and we have to learn for ourselves. Yeah. And so the way that they proclaim their lives is we do better for ourselves we're working on our past lives to be the best we can be and we hope that everyone will do this one day and then eventually they'll come so we can only do better by being better ourselves rather mm. than telling everyone else what to do which um, I actually I really like oh no I think that's really lovely. like and I think she was brilliant that yeah one, actually, so as well. um, yeah I mean I think again it's another example of as crazy as these people are they've actually got a lovely worldview yeah. in a lot of ways there's a lot of similarities between Unarius and Scientology, in a way. Mm. Um, and Scientology is an example of people taking ideas like this and being horrible. Psychopaths. Yeah, yeah, basically. Pure awful. Whereas I think that this base... And, and as a result, of course, Scientology is this massive thing. I mean, it says something about humanity, potentially. Because yeah. they both existed in a similar geographical area. Yeah. They both had sort of fairly similar ideas. Yeah. 
I would say that one was fundamentally run by a very recognisable male and one was run by a very recognisable female. And I do sort of wonder whether that's got something to do with, like, human, you know, the way uh, our society is. But, yeah, it's almost like Scientology without all of the horrible bits. Well, it's Scientology, but they're not out to. It's Scientology, but they're not out to make money. Like Scientology is purely to make money and be horrendous. Whereas this is, we've stayed in one building our entire time. We don't drag people here. We don't have tons of little places with people in suits trying to get you to go in their buildings totally, so you can take yeah. some stress tests and get stuck there for hours. This is turn up if you want, be in our play, sit down in this room and do our past life psychotherapy if you really want to. But no one's dragging you but here. I suppose my They're point... not making money out of it. And they yeah. have, a, you know, just have a nice time. I suppose my point is more that it's sad that that version of a cult Doesn't, is yeah. really unpopular and only potentially has about 20 yeah. people going to it now. Whereas the version of a cult where it's completely psychopathic and yeah, horrible and has disgusting. millions and millions yeah. of followers all around the world. Yeah. And both of them are just as ridiculous as each other. Yeah. One of them is nice and one of them's horrible. And for some reason, way more humans seem to have gone to the horrible one exactly. than have gone to the nice one. And totally. I suppose that's, that's the I think it's the, the preying on vulnerable as opposed to letting the vulnerable find you. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, totally. Yeah. yeah Which probably, probably does true. then stands up for why this isn't a religion or a cult. And this is actually, I don't think it's a science research group like they claim no. to be. <laughs> But, um, no. but I don't know. Cult is... Pr- I don't know. I don't think I can... I, I love the term cult. They don't. It's yeah. definitely not a religion. Even Actually, though do you know what? The term cult doesn't... It's only the term religion they don't like. Yeah. The term cult doesn't really come up in any of this stuff, as far no, as I'm aware. So I don't know. I mean, I presume no one would want to be called a cult, really. Yeah. But just going back to that, uh, what you said, they do do loads of, like, drug and alcohol rehab programmes in they there. They do. And obviously... You could be very. I, I'm naturally very skeptical about that sort of thing because it feels like something where you say, "Oh, if you, if you, you know, we'll come and help you get off drugs, but yeah. we'll also tell you to follow your areas for the yeah. rest of your life." So, I mean, there is a kind of darker side to that. But in a lot of ways, I feel like that's them doing something quite good for society. Again, in a way that's whereas Scientology yeah. also does that sort of thing. But Scientology's drug and alcohol yeah. rehab programs cost tens of thousands of dollars exactly and and also you have to be a member of scientology and this is and scientology is a collective group that will get go will go when the spaceship turns up whereas this group is the spaceships aren't coming unless all of us are better so like you know is saying we all need to be better so they don't want it to be expensive they want it to be accessible to everyone and they want it to be lovely but scientology is like no we want it to be select we want it to be well also scientology fundamentally is just there to make one person rich yeah exactly but like if if there's any truth to it it's only gonna be a few of us that reach the highest levels and you have to cost so much money so it is they come from completely different aspects so it is a shame that the one that's really nice that thinks the whole world needs to be nicer so that the space brothers come aren't the one with the millions of followers whereas the one where there ain't a million people getting on that ship when it does turn up for scientology (laughs) just just the ones right at the top thomas cruise and his psychopathic friend yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's sad really i think uh, maybe just a, a very slight interest just very quick from what we can make out although nothing's ever said outright in anything that we've seen i think the normans both respectively were quite well off and so i think that financially this place does really they obviously sell their books and they do sell you know they sell stuff you can buy a really cool pin badge oh i can't wait i'm buying one um so they obviously do have some degree of capitalism going into their like project or whatever that keeps them floating but i think that basically they own that building yeah so 
you know, and I, the, you know that's that's a huge cost. Yeah, they're not trying to expand, like you say. They're not Scientology. They're not trying to buy. And I think the ships, sale of their books is to keep it ticking over. Yeah, like because yeah. I don't know if these people have jobs or if they just work there. If they're just students there, because they're, they're not workers, they're students of yeah. the of the place. So I don't know whether purely the sale of their books and the sale of stuff is just to keep it open. Because I mm. do wonder. But good on them. I fucking love them. I love them so much. I know that you don't have to pay to go there or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really cool. And again, the, like, if the drug and alcohol programs that they're doing are free to a community that, again, from what I know of it, and I don't know you very do. much, but from what I know of it is a very poor area. Yeah. And could probably do with some drug and alcohol rehab programs. To be honest with you, if you're in a bad way, finding Unarius would probably be a wonderful thing yeah. to happen to you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not rushing out to kind of join any cults anytime soon, but I feel like they'd make you really happy. Yeah. And you could fuck about, you could yeah. wear fabulous outfits. They've got a whole room full of fabulous outfits <laughs> that so you could beautiful. wear at any time you like. You can pretend to be whoever you want. You can go on a parade, which well, I think we should now probably talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, we can mention the parade. So they have this conclave of light parade every October, which I think must be related to either when they thought they were coming or I don't know what. But they've been doing it, I think it's 38 years. I think yeah, this I think year was, was the 38th. It literally just happened. It happened about two weeks ago yeah. uh, and it's still happening, so that's good to know. Um, where they all don these beautiful uh, blue dresses. They have some songs that they've written that they sing about the Space Brothers coming. Those songs wonderful... have got more boring over the years. Oh, yeah, they as well. are. I must well, say. Now, the same now they sound like sort of church hymns. They do sound like hymns. But I'm sure I mean, before there was like synth soundtracks ah! and all sorts of cool I don't know. Shit I, think, I think this is your. You've seen the car because they have a beautiful car. <laughs> oh, my God. A... We've not even mentioned the car. The car's amazing. Well, it's like an old Cadillac style car yeah, like with that. Uriel's um, picture painted on the front and a big space spaceship on the top oh, it's so cool and it's gorgeous it's painted so, and I think the number plate is Uriel oh yeah definitely like, oh it's so cool and they drive that around and they and release... they also hold pictures again this really shit artwork oh yeah of the people that they've been in past lives oh yeah and they're, so they're all like carrying pictures of like aliens that they've been well it's famous all... people and they carry sorry they carry pictures of all the leaders of the other planets that's who they are oh yeah. sorry well I'm sure they probably all I mean there's various this pictures this is the thing but the other thing is like they oh, probably yeah. all were once that person yeah, in true. a past life or something. It's all very confused. <laughs> they also release uh, 33 white doves from the UFO on the car <laughs> they do. Um, every year yeah. to signify, I don't know, just that there's just 33 planets. Love, and isn't it? just, it's just love. love. Yeah. I don't really know what else happens at this parade, but we're going next year, so anyone who wants to come to Fuck. El Cajon, yes. we're going. And I'm not even joking. So it's the start of October. Yeah, Ish. sometime in the start of October. They made a Facebook event for it this year, so I'm pretty chuffed. And didn't them. you say 32 people said they were interested? Or well, there's a, they've got about 2,000 likes, which uh, isn't okay, a huge right. amount for a No, that's a much cult. more. Sorry, I thought it was way less than that. Yeah, yeah, true. Good on them. <laughs> so yeah, Conclave of Light next year. I think we should probably finish by uh, talking about the wonderful documentary that Jello Biafra made about them. So this is the other way that I found out about yeah. this Unarian cult, is that in 1992... Jello Biafra made a TV show, or was maybe I don't know if this was the only episode or what. But well, it, it didn't. Not, yeah, it, I mean, they made it. Yeah, and, it, and in one episode of this TV show, Jello Biafra was going to talk to the Unarians. He made the whole thing, and then apparently the video cassette that was on got stolen or or got lost. Someone's car, or yeah. So no one ever found it, and then maybe only about two years ago. It was ago in two thousand fourteen. It oh, resurfaced okay, so, somehow. And I think it's like the B roll footage. So I presume there must have been another camera on the go because it's very strangely like the 
Yeah. You know, the microphone keeps coming to the shot. That's and true. His face, like sometimes he just looks like he's not really listening and he's asked <laughs> his question and he obviously doesn't think he's on camera and stuff. So it's quite interesting to watch just for that reason as yeah. well, really. But this thing has popped up. It's like an hour long and it's one of the greatest pieces of video yeah. I think I've ever seen. It's perfection. Um, I mean, it's on YouTube. It is. So along with a lot of other footage that we can compile, we'll pop that on there. So please... Make sure you go watch it because it's so brilliant. It really is. Uh, like I can't tell you. And, and I mean, so I love Jello Biafra. I think you love Jello. Oh, he's too. at that roast dinner of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. But he's really proper in his prime. I, yeah. He must be. So it's the early nineties. He must be kind of in his early forties. I would yeah. think. And he's dressed like Alibaba, yeah, pretty much. But with a, and this is not by the Unarians, by the way. Yeah, this he is just turns what up he's dressed che- like that, doesn't just, he? This is just what he's wearing. He's got a lovely long goatee beard. Yeah, and um, he does look like something from Aladdin. Yeah, but, yeah, and he's just wonderful. I think his his interview technique is brilliant because it's like he takes these people so seriously. Yeah. But, but asked, as do they. But, and they obviously yeah. take him so seriously. And um, he meets up with this woman that we mentioned a little bit earlier, who. I think he's really brilliant. And she's kind of like the guide to Unarius. Yeah. And he asks her really tough questions. Yeah. And, and he sort of brings a lot of his kind of like political knowledge yeah. into it. He says, what about, you know, this situation? They're all situations that are obviously going on in like 1992. Yeah. And I, I don't, it's just she handles wonderful, it perfectly. She handles it perfectly. And the two of them talking together, I think, I don't know whether I'm mad for saying this. I just feel like I could have watched them talk together well, do you know for what? ages. The first time I watched it, because I've watched it twice now, I thought she was like, oh gosh, she's just brainwashed. The second time I watched it, I was like, you know what? She's just freaking handling that conversation really yeah. well in a very intelligent way. Some and of it is just like... Young and, like I, I, I mean, I'm not sure. It's difficult to say. How, but you yeah. know what I mean? She's quite, she's very like confident and knowledgeable and she's there's yeah. one point where he asks her something and she doesn't know the exact answer and she asks someone yeah. off camera and it's like so you can obviously tell that everything else she said she obviously knew yeah. all of this shit she must have like, and Sorry, the mind, thing this is 200 books or whatever the thing that point. she's asking off camera is they have that uh, model city of the perfect city that they're going to build oh, we because they're going to they're going to build these energy towers that take energy from the universe Yes, um, that's built just by Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla, via somebody else, obviously. designed this, <laughs> and um, it's this big energy tower. And he asks how tall it is, and she's like, "Oh, it's about five hundred meters tall." Wait a minute, how tall is it? And she asks the person off camera, yeah. "Oh, sorry, it's two thousand meters yeah. in the in the sky, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's going to take energy from the uh, outer universe and power the entire planet for free." Yeah, and it's again, all, and it's really nice idea. Yeah, it's lovely. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all for like environmental stuff. And yeah. It's all, you know, it all, again, I think if you use the whole thing as a metaphor, I think it's genius. It's just they're not using it as a metaphor. Is the yeah, that's just real. But, um, <laughs> he speaks to Charles Spiegel or the An- Anter, what's his name? Oh, Anteras. he does. He does so, get to speak to the man who was formerly the devil. He does. And <laughs> I mean, this is where we see um, the wig. his wig. <laughs> and I'll say that he does not deal with Jello Biafra anywhere near I as I mean, well he as gets very well. red-faced and angry. Yeah, he's obviously thing. enraged. Yeah. But he is trying to be professional throughout it all. But and, he also doesn't answer things correctly. He does just blindly repeat the same answer and yeah. not really take in what's going on. Yeah, that bit's not so good. But then he 
yeah. meets with a whole group of them. Yeah. And again, the, the, the people that he meets with are, in 1992, they're relatively young-ish. You they're know, all they're, dressed in the lovely jewels and in, beautiful things. And uh, the, the woman that he uh, interviews first, she's wearing some of Uriel's jewellery. Yeah. And so she's got this, <gasps> she's got like this outfit on that just looks like a sort of Star Trek outfit. Yeah. But she's just got these massive, massive chandelier earrings. That I think is shaped as like... Well, um, they're big glittery like... They're just Spaceships, big, aren't they? No, they're just oh, big they're g- tons of gems falling off. It's something like Pat Butcher would have worn in EastEnders. But and she like, does turned this, up to about 11. But she's surely. so proud of them because these are Uriel's jewellery and I'm wearing them because they're glittery and they reflect light and what it does is it's shining her light onto you and everyone at home. Yeah. If I, and she's dangling her earrings yeah. so that the audience can see all the light <laughs> reflecting and she's sincerely sending you love and light via these earrings. Yeah. Which I'm just like, you fucking beautiful Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, and that's why they wear all their beautiful gems and stuff, to just be more positive and beautiful in the world. And which, I, you know, fuck again, yeah. I just feel like that's fuck something we could yes. all learn from in that exactly. context. Um, but yeah, that but group. yeah, this group. I mean, you can tell that some of them have had hard lives. Yeah. There's definitely a guy there who's got no front teeth. Yeah. And uh, and he says at one point that he used to listen to heavy metal. And Jello Biafra, he does obviously doesn't know who he's talking to. Yeah, so Jello no Biafra idea. sort of goes like, "Oh right, okay." Like, and he goes, "Oh no, but you know the like really real the really heavy stuff. stuff." Like I liked like Black Sabbath like that, yeah. and it was really negative. And Jello Biafra is just like, "Oh, I found Black Sabbath to be a really positive influence yeah. on my life," <laughs> which is it, quite cool. It is pure wonderful at that point. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this film, really, apart from just you should definitely watch it. Definitely. Because I just think it's wonderful. And at the end, here's, here's the best bit of that film. The very last shot of Jello Biafra, he's been dressed up in all, in one of the most incredible outfits I've ever seen, which he's obviously got from their, yeah. their thing. And he's got like a big purple space hat on with yes. a bobble on top. And he's just got this wonder. Oh, it's just beautiful. And he does say at one point, if you guys ever have a garage sale, please yeah, let, me know, let me know. Because I want to buy all of this shit. But he does get to talk to Yuri, well, so, which I suppose is the most yeah. interesting. If you were interested in this cult in any way, that would be the most interesting. Because well, that's what he says throughout. He says, you know, well, I get to speak to her. And they, and they keep going, oh, no, she's broken her foot. She is 92 years old. She is in bed. And he's really cynical to a point where actually I get a bit annoyed because it does turn out that she's alive. Yeah. On second watch, I then get annoyed with him because he's pushing them all and saying, is this all a bit like Scientology when they hid that L. Ron Hubbard had died and yeah. they didn't release that information for years um, and they're all saying, no, 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 she is literally just in bed, she's just broken her foot and she can't really move around. And he's so of that disbelief that he goes, well, couldn't I talk to her on the phone? And they're like, yeah. yeah. And so they get over on the phone and you can just tell he doesn't really know what to do with himself. And <laughs> she is brilliant she's obviously dementing yeah she sends yeah. love through the phone at one point which i think is her just pressing buttons she gets things <laughs> wrong it does it does feel like a con- the sort of conversation that you might have with your very elderly grandmother yeah. like she's which obviously she not is. yeah exactly and I, I was saying to you like the way that she talks on the phone is very much like an old person yeah she's like hello uriel here but you she seems like, but in the footage she does seem to have spoken like that the whole no, time she does, she does a bit she doesn't she that's a good point but honestly the bit where she's like i'm now it goes beep and you can see him looking confused and beep beep and he's like what are you doing she's like i'm just sending you and everyone watching power and love <laughs> through the phone i think that's, beep, the, most, that's the most awkward bit because then he's like Sorry, so you're sending love 
through the phone. Well, you do. You and should feel this the, power all of a but sudden. But at the point, well, she's just completely bermused. Yeah, I mean, you can just imagine. Be, imagine being 92 and being questioned by Jelly Biafra. Biafra. Like, particularly back then. Oh, um, but it's pure joy, pure but, joy. Yeah, but that, yeah, the phone call is kind of interesting. I mean, she doesn't necessarily say anything of any. It does just turn out that she's literally broken but, her foot. But what, yeah, but he <laughs> says at the end, what, um, what is the one message that you want everyone to know at home that, you, you know, your one wisdom that you would share? Mm. And she's really, like, emphatic about this and says it straight off the cuff. She's just like, there is no... And I think she's saying this because she knows she's going to die really soon. Yeah. But she says, there is no such thing as death. You've got to live. Yeah. Like, you've just got to do things, but not worry. Live without care. Live without fear because you're just going to carry on and you've got to do good because you've got to keep doing good. You've got to keep repaying your karmic debt so you've just got to be a good person. Yeah. I was like, you're a fucking legend. Yeah. Also, you do know you're about to die and you've told all these people that spaceships are coming <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> But um, legend, I, I I have nothing but joy for this. Group. I will say there's one just to just to mention this because I think it would be wrong not to mention it. She does say something that isn't totally clear, but sounds like it's a bit homophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She definitely <laughs> uh, says something about mixed mixed marriages of some kind. It, it's kind of one of those. She's sort of saying a bunch of things that she thinks are going wrong in the world. Yeah. And within that, I think she says something about same sex people or something yeah. like that. But it's not totally clear. And then Jello does pick up on it and say something like, "So you don't think same sex or something?" Yeah. But then she just keeps talking, and so. I'm not going to make any excuses. I, no. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost 100 percent sure she basically just says something really homophobic. Yeah. But, um, so she's not perfect. No, she's definitely. But she not was perfect. a 93 year old woman and 92 year old woman, and that's no excuse. Yeah. She was born in 1900. 1900. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Absolutely crazy. But definitely do a deep dive on this. We did, and I must say, like I say, I've watched that um, thing twice, the mm. Jelly Biafra thing. And I must say, on second watch, having learnt the tea a bit more about Unarius, I just absolutely adored it. Children of the Stars is online. You have to do, you do have to pay for it on Vimeo. Yeah. But um, we've got it for thirty days. So honestly, if anyone wants our login, we yeah. can send it to you <laughs> yeah, if you're true. interested. Because <laughs> um, we've rented it for thirty days. So if anyone wants it, let us know. You can watch it. And then I think most of the other stuff is on YouTube. It's only that that isn't. So I'll put it all on our on our playlist. Uh, there's like a, a ten or eleven minute documentary which is the most current one which we mentioned which is we are not alone and that's really cool as well i really yeah. like that as well it was just a nice it was a nice sort of summation of bit. the whole thing and it uh, kind of shows you where they are yeah. yeah i don't know like my takeaway from this is just that i really like these people i think they are crazy yeah and i think that everything they believe is crazy yeah but they seem to have a lot of fun yeah they're definitely not hurting anybody. Yeah. They've got brilliant outfits. Mm-hmm. They've made some really beautiful, genuinely beautiful, like, artistic works. And I don't yeah. mean the paintings. I mean, like, some of the models and stuff. Like, yeah. in, in that... I Like, I do want to go to this Institute of Science. We are going. No, all right. <laughs> I, know, but I do want to go there to sort of chuckle at it and be like, oh, you know, these people are really interested and mad. But I actually genuinely would like to see a lot of the stuff that they've made there. Yeah. I mean, they, just by making up this all of this nonsense, they have created yeah. some wonderful things. And they've created some terrible things, the films. Yeah. But even them, I've got loads well, of respect for. It's I no different to a bad DIY punk band. Or a DIY would... podcast. Yeah, of exactly. Stuff. Like, I just <laughs> think, sometimes I think, Christ, what are we doing? We're just creating a thing. But... To create a thing that wasn't there before is amazing. And they just, that's all they're doing yeah. with their little psychodramas. But 
the plus side is they're also working through their past karmic debt. Yeah, yeah. Good for them. They believe they're doing something really good for themselves, and at the same time, they're filming it and creating these weird films. They're and having this lovely little centre that seems to be self-running. Yeah. And well, I do believe, I do, genu- no I do genuinely believe that what they're doing probably does have some psychological value. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does, because just by believing in something positive... Yeah. You know, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like, be careful who you pretend to be because you are who you pretend to be. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly... They're pretending to be really happy, yeah. brightly coloured yeah. people that fuck about yeah. for fun Their entire their life. life's worth is, I'm going to be better and I'm going to encourage everyone else to be better so these lovely space people can come and help us be even better. Well, that's just brought one last thing to mind, which is that one of the other things they believe is that if you use your mind productively and you get to a higher level of consciousness, then you can channel that out to other people. Legends. Now, of course that's rubbish, but what a lovely idea. What? If they're all out there, if they're all out in the street and they see a sad person on the street, yeah. they're sitting there on their little park bench, yeah. busy channeling all the joy that they have but, to that other person. And, you know... Hear me out. Go, oh, when hello. you smile at a stranger and they smile back, well, they, and they yeah. might have been sad. Well, that's this is just getting into reality tunnels. No, but it's tr- I no, think no, it's no, true. I mean, no, absolutely. Put a good thing out there and you get good back and exactly. you change other people for the better. And I, I think, don't know. I, think I love in that, them. In that context like i again if they were doing anyone any harm yeah. or you know apart from one minor bit of homophobia yeah this group of people are wonderful they're beautiful <laughs> go look them up i can't yeah i can't stress how good they are right well from the sunshiny glittery bejeweled people of yanarius to the heavy hardcore screamy band Pe- people of Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to play a song by a band called dad and this song is called Corfu 82, brackets ready to inflate. Oh, you said brackets. I know. I like well, that. I always say the brackets. You've got to say brackets. <laughs> uh, they're from Liverpool. This song is originally from a split with Better Reality, but recently released on a discography tape, Father's Day on No Time Records. So this is Dad with Corfu 82, brackets ready to inflate. <laughs> Trashy film for review is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982. 
You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. You happen to know anything about this Cochrane? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season. He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Cochrane? Do I need a reason? Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, season of the witch, the night no one comes home. After the death of her father under very suspicious circumstances, Ellie Grimbridge and Dr. Daniel Chalice decide to investigate the shady activities of Connell Cochran, the owner of the Silver Shamrock Novelties Company. Before long, they discover Cochran's diabolical plot to brainwash the children of America into doing his bidding through a mixture of ancient rituals, technology and witchcraft. This Halloween, wearing the mask of a skeleton, a witch or a pumpkin can be deadly. Can Ellie and Daniel thwart the plans of the evil toy maker? Dun dun dun! <laughs> That's a really nice description. It's good, isn't it? So this is the just to say, I'm sure most people know this already. This is Halloween three. It is from the Halloween series, but by Mr. Lovely after, John Carpenter. Well, the first one was yes. Oh, but, so he he produced this one. Ah, but. Halloween 1 and 2 were the story of Michael Myers. And then if you've watched any Halloween films, pretty much beyond that, they're the story of Michael Myers. It's just this continued. one. <laughs> but at some point in 1982, they decided that in, once they'd made the first two uh, Halloween films, that the, from the third one onwards, they were just going to make a standalone uh, film and use the kind of branding, I guess, of Halloween. Um, every year in October, they would release Halloween. You know, they released Halloween three, season of the witch, and then four would have been a completely different film about something completely different. Yeah. But it bombed. So, um, <laughs> so, so they didn't. They didn't do that. And, and from four onwards, they went back to Michael Myers, and obviously they're still making them now. I mean, the big Halloween film this year is literally is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is oh, back is in. Is it called Halloween Kills? I think. Oh, really? Because they did Somewhere. one last year as well. Like yeah. a year, or last year, year so before. So they're, they're back. They're back. Yeah. Just so Michael it. Myers has now, now obviously become this sort of horror icon that and, everybody knows about. And this film has absolutely nothing to do with it at all. No, not at just all. Just a standalone. So, there's, so there's, don't be expecting any. It's not a slasher. It's got nothing to do with it whatsoever. No. And uh, I would Thus say we picked it. I, I would say for the better. But uh, Siobhan, what <laughs> did you think of Halloween? I think 3, the internet the doth witch? protest that. Well, fuck the internet. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to run through some of the bits that I thought were pretty good about this film, or notable. Let's say notable because not all of it's good. Um, so, <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to figure out how I feel by the end. <laughs> The introduction, the opening credits, felt like a Mega Drive game. I was yeah. very into that. Yeah. It felt like Road Rash was about to happen. Road Rash? Yeah, Road Rash. It felt like Road Rash was about to start. I was very chuffed. <laughs> Again, it's the John Carpenter kind of like eerie, silly music. Although I don't know if he wrote the introduction. Yeah, he did. So he did. the synth score is very much John Carpenter. Yeah, all yeah, of the yeah, synth yeah. stuff. But I feel like no, the beginning is... No, that's totally No, it is still synth, like, isn't it? That is like proper... Typical. John Carpenter music. Beautiful. It's even got that drum beat in the background yes. that goes... Duh, duh. Yeah. He uses so that good. a lot. It's so beautiful. 
So yeah, you know you're onto a win with that. Um, and in the opening scene, because it states the dates below uh, throughout some of the scenes, and it says Saturday the 23rd of October, which was literally, you know, we've just had a Saturday the 23rd of October, so Whoa, a bit of me was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're about to experience all of the things at the same time. So just to say, if you haven't watched Halloween 3 already, Get watch on out, because on, on Halloween itself, don't be watching no uh, Shamrock novelties uh, adverts on TV because your children will turn into snakes. Oh, we didn't really make that clear either. We picked this film because it is Halloween. Oh, yeah, so, true. So happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> oh, a tiny tidbit. They go to room 13 in A&E at some point when uh, someone gets uh, hurt. And I just thought I would share with people that generally A&Es don't have a room 13. Mm, bad luck. For bad luck. I'm mm. not even kidding. They have a 12A and 12B. I feel there like that's go. a very old school hospital. Though it's definitely not true of hospitals being built today. Oh, yeah, true. And I wonder whether in America they have that same... Well, I'm sure you they just changed the name but... of the. Yeah. yeah. I'm just speaking of um, St. George's Hospital in Teeting. Not very exciting for anyone. Um, <laughs> Bit of nurse trivia. <laughs> there's some nice gore. Not too much, and not very good ones, but the first bit is uh, there's a man that's killed by one of the crazy murderers, and uh, he's killed by. They put his fingers through his eyes and pull the bridge of his nose up. It's really horrible. And they do that to someone else. Fucking well, horrible. Yeah, well, it mm. seems to be they're like. MO for how to kill people is fucking horrible. Um, but that's pretty much the only good gore bit, I would say. Yeah. But um, within about five minutes, Tom Atkins, who plays Dr. Daniel Chalice, is already making out with the daughter of the dead man. <laughs> like, he's met her, and then within five minutes, they're like, where would you like to sleep? And before you know it, they're making out. And he's definitely... She's a lot younger. 20 years is her, <laughs> yeah. her senior. So that's pretty grim. There's a scene where there's a lady um, who keeps ringing... Tom Atkins' character. She's one of the doctors who's doing the autopsy. And I like that she's just, at some point, fiddling through all these ashes. And she goes, I've accidentally been doing an autopsy on a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that she can't find the body in oh, amongst the that, ashes. But I do like but it. But that does lead to something. It does. Because the reason for that is that the person, the guy that kills the dad, yeah. who does the bridge of the nose bit, is actually a robot. Yeah. And he blows himself up in the car. Yes. As a Tom Atkins, who is a doctor, but for some reason more or less becomes a detective um, <laughs> he asks her to sort of yeah do the autopsy uh, and so the point is is that she thinks it's a car but it's not it's actually the man who killed himself uh, except the man's not really a man he's a robot there's a lovely bit where the baddie I can't think who plays him but he's this weird um, Englishman who's apparently Irish um, who uh, I mean manages... he's actually Irish oh is he yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The way that they um, attack people is via these microchips in these masks. And the energy that goes into these microchips <laughs> is harnessed from Stonehenge yeah. because they've stolen one of the stones from Stonehenge, which are quite like that. That's all a bit weird. And throwback to last episode where we talked about Stonehenge. I thought that was quite cool. Well, yeah, it is a bit weird. They, they, they take a tiny bit of Stonehenge uh, from the rock. And they put it in just some circuitry, some yeah. general electric circuitry. Well, it's at a time that, where microchips would have been very scary. Oh, totally. <laughs> and um, the, that man just turns around and goes, when you do that, it's devastating. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it's devastating because it does make loads of snakes come out of someone's head. Yes. So th- There was a full uh, five minutes where you didn't look at the screen. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't look at that. But... <laughs> I do love that it ends with... Um, because Tom Atkins' character manages to thwart it by... Basically, there's this 
advert on TV that when it comes on is going to like set off all of these microchips. So he manages to get most of it turned off. But at the end, he's trying, he's arguing with the last man and he turns to the camera and screams right at the audience. And that's meant to be quite powerful. But at that point, I was like, this is shit. What's going on? And then the film ends. So my apologies for my damning thoughts there, David, because I can see you're upset. What do you think? Well, let me start at that end. I think that the ending of this film is fucking brilliant. (laughs) It ends on a cliffhanger. It's not the there is you can definitely pick holes in it unquestionably <laughs> um, because more or less what he does is he rings up so that yeah if the if the TV commercial plays and all these kids watch it with the Halloween masks on then whatever's going to happen is going to happen electricity is going to burn them up or snakes are going to come out of their head or whatever there's yeah. not really a clear no it's not clear it's not at clear all. what this is actually going to do um, and he just rings up a load of TV stations and tells them to take off the advert because otherwise tr- yeah. everyone's going to die and I you know. I imagine this nurse that was made to fart in her last job, she might ring people up sometimes and say everyone's going to die. <laughs> and you generally wouldn't... I don't think... I think if you were the executive of a TV studio, you A, probably wouldn't talk to this man. No. But B, it definitely wouldn't work. Anyway, he gets two of the... Two of the, two of the three channels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a better time. Good times. Um, he gets gets two of them turned off and then the third one and he, that's where he does yeah. that thing where he's screaming and it ends and you're not sure whether it's whether it was turned off or not. There you go. I think that's a brilliant ending. Yeah. It, yeah, it is quite good. I mean, <laughs> up until this point, Tom Atkins' face has just annoyed me so much that the last thing I wanted was him to look straight at myself. How can you be annoyed by Tom Atkins? So I Tom can Atkins, and I will. Right. <laughs> Let me start. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Atkins is like... One of my favourite actors of all time. Oh, really? I think he's a wonderful, wonderful human being. Oh, I'm so sorry, because I was and, horrible about him. Um, I think that... So, he's, he pops up in lots of different horror movies, but yeah. most, most like, I most know him from um, Night of the Creeps. Okay. He's fucking brilliant in that. He plays basically a detective that's just desperate to die. Brilliant. Oh. But it's a comedy. Okay. Sort of comedy. And he's in... He does pop up in, like, Escape from New York. He's definitely in some other John Carpenter films and stuff. I just think he's brilliant. Oh, okay. And, I mean, I will say that the character in this... I mean, I don't know if <laughs> this says more about me. No. But, you know, having an alcoholic, podgy, middle-aged man with, like, bad skin and a moustache... Yeah. ...as a sex symbol, for some reason that rings true with me. <laughs> I'm not really sure what it Aww. is. And I just think he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant in this film. So I have a bit of a story with this film. Oh. When I was 19, I went sort of travelling through America and stayed in all of these dodgy hostels and all of this sort of stuff. And one night I couldn't sleep. And it was, I don't know what time, but it was the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning or something. And so I stuck the telly on and this film was on TV. And it must have just started, because I definitely didn't see the credits. But I, So I just started watching this thing, because it looked like a horror movie. I don't think at that time I even knew who Tom Atkins was. I didn't, I didn't realise it was anything. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know mm. what it was called. It was one of those really annoying things where on the advert breaks, it didn't say what film it was. And I must have fallen asleep before the end credits, I think. Or maybe the end credits wouldn't have said what it was either. And so I had no idea what this film was. Aww. And so... And this it's not is, clear it's a Halloween I, film. Yeah, no, not at all. No, <laughs> I would never have guessed. Because it's the only one that's got nothing to do with Michael Myers. Never have guessed at all. And that was quite a long time ago. Mm. I, and so, I just worked out the year in my yeah. head. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, on that trip I went up the Twin Towers. Let's put it that way. I mean, it was that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
for years after that, I desperately wanted to find this film. And this was, yeah, it wasn't really, like, it wasn't, to say it was pre-internet is kind of like a bit over the top. But definitely, mm. there was no, like, easy way of using the internet to find this out. And why would you ever find out anything about this film that was a complete flop? Yeah. When people talk about Halloween films, they never talk about this one. Mm. It's just, you know, it's just... And so, at some point, randomly, I must have worked, I don't know how I worked it out. I might have. I would guess that probably what happened was I bought a VHS of Halloween three, just thinking, "Oh, it's Halloween three, I'll buy the VHS," and then it turned out to be this thing. But so I have these really clear memories, and I think as well, I was like dropping in and out of sleep while Mm. I was watching it. So in this film, they really overuse it, but there's this really cool jingle and advert, and the and the advert is so beautiful. It's so like Mm. dot matrix, and it's so like eight is looking. And it's, it's just like it's this flashing end, pumpkin, it? and then there's these like disembodied music. kids' heads that are spinning yeah. round. And there's Halloween, oh, so, Halloween, so good. Halloween, but I had that fucking thing in my head rock. for like a year after yeah. watching it. And so, and I would sometimes, you know, I'd, the people that I knew that knew anything about horror movies, I'd be singing this song at them and being like, "Do you know what song? What um, what film this is?" Yeah, and they they never did. Aww. And probably if they'd said, oh, it's Halloween 3, I'd be like, no, Yay. you fucking idiot. It's not got Michael Myers in it. So <laughs> as a result of that, anyway, um, I, You're quite fond of I'm i very fond of this. Mm. And watching it back, I think I'm even more fond of it because, as an aside, although John Carpenter didn't actually direct this, he was obviously really involved in it, and it looks really similar to a John Carpenter film. Mm. And I'm, everyone will know this, but John Carpenter is famous for doing, you know, Escape from New York, They Live, The Thing, uh, the thing like, and those are, I would say, like, my probably my favourite films. And one of the things I like about them the most is just the way they look, it's like the cinematography, there's something just so mm. beautiful about them, the soundtrack, the soundtrack for all of these early John Carpenter films, he really went off the off the rails like later on yeah but he throughout his like 80s movies pretty much well i think for anyone who hasn't watched any john carpenter films but likes stranger things the reason you like stranger things is because of the synthy beautifulness of yeah. everything they took from john carpenter yeah and maybe yeah. the look actually a lot of the look that kind yes. of like dark and eerie kind of particular way that they do things but definitely their soundtrack is a john carpenter ripoff I think, wish yeah. they wish it was. No, I think you're 100 percent right. Yeah. But I think that as well because it actually is the 80s, yeah, as opposed to Mock. somebody pretending to be the 80s via mostly like CGI and yeah. all that shit. It's just a totally different experience. And it, uh, there's something. It's not only the way it looks. It's also the like the areas that he picks to film mm. things in. Like all of his films, there's just these places that I just feel like I don't know. There's just some something I like. I just want to be in them. I want to be in these movies, I think. Although you don't want any of the things happening to you because it's usually no, body yeah, horror, no, horribleness. Yeah, no, no, probably not. Yeah. But, um, and this film really looks like a John Carpenter film. Yeah. Again, it wasn't actually directed by him, but, it, but obviously he's had, a, he's had a hand in that. And so although it's tacky, and it is tacky, and although the story has immeasurable holes in it, and although there's lots of, there's lots of issues about it that you could pick apart, the thing is, is it's just beautiful and Aww. I just love it and I did think I was a bit worried because I mean I've, it's, I've watched it quite a few times um, sort of over the years but it's been a little while and I was a bit worried that watching it again now I would be like oh sh- actually this is rubbish yeah. not at all Aww. I absolutely loved every second of it 
Yeah, it absolutely blew me away, so I'm a bit upset that you didn't like it. Oh. Um, there's loads of just really good bits, or I'm just going to go on about like swooning about it and stuff. Sweet. There's this really lovely bit right at the end where they get to Halloween, and so all the days lead up to Halloween. And when it gets to Halloween, and it sort of says, you know, October the 31st yeah. at the bottom, it goes around loads of random cities in America, and it shows kids trick-or-treating because yeah. they're all wearing these masks, which are going to turn into snakes or whatever they're going to do. And every there's about ten of them, I think, and it goes to some of them are like I know one of them's L.A. and like mm. it goes to a few places, but every single one of them they just pick these shots where it's just these kids with Halloween costumes on, like just walking along, and some of them are just on a street, some of them like one of them's on a like hill, and like the whole of L.A. is in the mm. background. But every shot of every town that they go to is just like uh, is like a work of art. I genuinely think that, and and so in the context of like a crappy eighties horror movie having that mixed in i don't know i don't know it just something about it just works really well for me i'm not i'm not really sure i don't think i need to go into the story very much i just think it's brilliant oh um i mean there is yeah there's definitely some loads of holes in it there's a lot of mumbo jumbo about sort of random irish customs Mm. Um, I do like the bit where he says that the hills ran red with the blood of children. Yeah, that was quite uh, cool. That was kind of cool. And I really like that guy. <laughs> I think he's cool. Um, I said this to you at the time. He looks exactly like my dad's brother. <laughs> Uncle Dick. He looks like Uncle, Uncle Dick. Uncle Dick. Yeah. I know of him now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and so that's weird because he really looks like him. Um, and, um, well, it's the old Irish in you. I, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So many customs. <laughs> between the the slattery family and the cullen oh, family gosh. there's so many I'm irish O'Leary. customs we've got loads of it <laughs> gosh i do like the the fact that um <laughs> whilst this is really bad and so it is and obviously this is incredibly in, not politically correct but i do really like it that um tom atkins is like on this adventure where he's getting into you know he sees a man die oh, yeah. and he sees someone get murdered and then he goes to this uh, town and all of this horrible stuff is happening. Then he finds about this plot, and he keeps ringing his wife because the whole time his ex-wife, sorry, because the whole time he's supposed to be picking up his kids, mm. and he's obviously like he's so busy as a doctor that he's never got time for them, and all of this sort of stuff. And I love the fact that every time he's in a really terrible situation where you're just sort of like, oh, is he going to live or is he going to die? He rings his wife to basically tell her like. You know, don't let the kids wear the Halloween mask or whatever. Yeah. And you can just hear her on the other end of the thing going, Where are you? Oh what are you God. doing? <laughs> just like, and, he, and he's like continuously going like, No, no, I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something. She's like, yeah. You're never here for your kids. But then just, but then in the same scene, he'll be like, right, I'm off to fuck that 20-year-old yeah, no, totally. girl. Yeah. I'm definitely 50. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, Definitely his character is flawed in that context flawed as well. to such a degree. Which I think, unfortunately, like I couldn't... I, I struggle to shake it at times, yeah. which is a shame because actually I do agree with you on nearly all your other points. <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that all of the like baddies that turn out to be robots, they're all just filled with yellow gook. Oh yeah, the and gook's so cool. When they get killed, they just make some custard. <laughs> they yeah. do just spew custard every now and then. <laughs> it's yeah. good. I also think being one of them as an actor must have been really uh, not exactly challenging because you literally no, just no, have to like stare dead and press buttons every now and then. <laughs> It's good. But even that side of it, like I really think that's a brilliant way to start a film as well. There's uh, the very one of the very first scenes is one of these robot characters killing someone or trying to kill someone, and while he's trying to kill him, uh, a car just like slowly rolls back and crushes him yeah. in another car. And of course, because you don't know he's a robot or anything, he's strangling this guy, and then this car slowly comes, and the the guy just doesn't really react to it and just sort of looks over, and it's really slow, and he could get out of the way, but he just doesn't, and then he gets crushed. 
and you're like, wow, what, what the fuck? And then like the guy that pours lighter, lighter fluid on himself in the car and just sets himself alight, yeah, it's like, like, what the fuck what? is going on? Like, because yeah. you don't know they're all just robots. Yeah, um, no, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So yeah. I just love this film. Uh, the director, so it wasn't directed by uh, John Carpenter, like I said, the director, Tommy, Tommy Lee Wallace, I think it is Tommy. Tommy Lee Wallace. Yeah, yeah it, is, although it says Thomas Lee Wallace on uh, Wikipedia. Definitely says Tommy. But the, di- the director, Tommy Lee Wallace, he's done loads of like sequels to things by the looks of it. He's done like Fright Night Part 2 and he's done a bunch of stuff. But this motherfucker ruined my childhood. Oh no. He directed the original It. The Did t- he? Yeah. The like um, Tim Curry one, yeah. Oh, so, ledge. Um, so oh, I had yeah, no yeah. idea about that. I mean, you know, when I was eight years old, yeah, it ruined about up. two years of my life. I couldn't go near a drain. Oh, so yeah. I mean, he's not really gone on to very much else. But those two things are like two of probably my favourite horror related things ever made. Like this and, and, and it, it. Yeah, I would say probably two Aww. of the best for totally different reasons. I love them both. You know, and he did a Baywatch. Well, <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> I take it all back. So, I'm just going to stop swooning about Halloween 3 now. Uh, it's brilliant. But Siobhan, don't be influenced by anything I've said. What score are you going to give Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? As much as I didn't say a lot of good things about it, because I think I just wrote down all the ridiculousness, it was a pretty enjoyable film. A very enjoyable film. I think I was very influenced by how much I didn't like Tom Atkins' character because as much as you say he was a flawed person, I think I just really didn't like those flaws very much. <laughs> and I appreciate that like 80s horror and 80s trash films were all about this, but he just really did look like an old fuddy-duddy man and she really yeah. does look young and I, it just like freaked me out quite a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you, I don't know how old he actually so was. So I He's looked this up. He's probably in his 40s or something. Yeah, so right? he was 47 and she was 30. I wrote it down. So I think 30 she, something. So she looks younger for her age and he looks like Yeah, age, exactly. Suppose, but still. She, she was 32, he was 47. But... I think he was supposed to be an anti-hero but they didn't necessarily do that very well no. in character development wise or in anything wise No, but I think that was the idea I think he was you know he definitely was supposed to be a flawed yeah, uh, a flawed man who's trying to do right but also has some issues can't stop I mean, he's having def- sex with the kids can't, and, and, so, <laughs> and I think it, whilst you didn't really see it that much he was kind of I think supposed to be an alcoholic but he was you know he, he just drank just occasionally in the film. No, which he's blessed with. No, <laughs> because he just drank a lot, and like there's a strange bit where the town, the whole town that this uh, where he goes, where yeah. the factory is set, they have a curfew at six o'clock. Oh yeah, and so that's one of the ways that you know, like, oh, he's gone to a weird place. And I the weird really thing about it is, yeah, they never really explained it, but yeah. I think the point is, is it's like they said it's like a company town, and like everyone works at the factory. Oh yeah. And I suppose it was just pushing the pushing the point that it was a strange place. But after six o'clock, he goes out and he just goes to a liquor store. Oh, and yeah. I'm just like, if surely if there was a curfew, then why are you open? Yeah. yeah, and the garage too. The garage is open, but there's a curfew, and they all live in the town. Silly, 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 silly. What score Plot are you holes. giving it? <laughs> uh, I'm going five out of ten. Wow. Because it wasn't that bad, and I would watch it again. Nine point five. <gasps> You're mental. Good for you. Without question. Go oh, yeah. You've been thinking that a while. Didn't even. So one minute. So that's only point five off the best film you've ever seen. Yeah, because um, I wasn't expecting it to be that high. Okay. But when I was watching it, 
It just all came back the to more, you. No, not even that. It was just the further it got, I thought this is going to disappoint me at some point. And then the snakes came out of the mask and I had to look away. Yeah, and that but, really does happen for a while. That's a really long scene. I think I remember that one quite... I think I might have... When I watched this for the first time, I think I might have sort of dropped off and then woken up and the snakes were all coming out. Oh. So that wasn't great. But yeah. Yeah, 9.5. Fair enough. So, talking about things that are worth a 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> I'm going to play another one of Dave's old songs. Uh, this is by a band called Samuel. They were from Pennsylvania and they were around in the sort of mid 90s. Uh, kind of like a American emo original version of emo band. Uh, probably fit more into the kind of like an indie sort of sound though, I would say. This is one of my favourite songs of its type. If not, might even be my favourite song of its type. It's from a split seven inch with Texas The Reason. I'm sure most people know who Texas The Reason are and they went on to a lot more fame. But it came out on a UK label called Simba Records and it's an amazing seven inch. Both bands have great songs, but I don't think there's any point in me playing a Texas The Reason song. Uh, They also have a couple of uh, seven inches that came out on another really cool label which is long dead, called Art Monk Construction. They release loads of really cool emo records. And uh, their other seven inches are brilliant, but this song is really the, is really the peach in their crown. That's not even the saying. But I'll say it. it. No, I like it. Peach in their crown. I've said Especially it. Especially as you hate peaches. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is, the, this is Samuel's peach in their crown, the leaving kind. <laughs>
does it for episode 22 of Breakfast Punks. Thank you for listening to this whole episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please do follow us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, and whatever you're listening to this podcast on, if there's an opportunity to rate us, please do give us a little rating or send us some feedback. We appreciate all feedback always. Uh, Best way is uh, direct message us on Instagram or shamcityroasters at gmail.com is a good email to catch us on. Um, anything else, Dave? No. Um, cool. only, <laughs> only just one last song to leave Yay. you all with. Uh, this last song is by Andy T. Uh, it's from his new album, Clinging Onto Sanity with a Broken Fingernail, uh, which has just recently come out on Grow Your Own Records. We say this every time we play anything from Grow Your Own Records, but I'm going to say it again. We love them and they're brilliant. Uh, everything they uh, release is uh, excellent and you should definitely support them. And they're the uh, loveliest people and they put so much effort into the little packages that things come in. It's just ridiculous. They do, and this one comes in a lovely package. Um, Andy T is a name from uh, the sort of crass era of things and i think he's been just uh, carrying on throughout that time he makes music but he also writes poetry and uh, this album is a really interesting mixture of songs and spoken word stuff um it's a great album so definitely check that out we're going to play a song called fragile minds and i hope you like it and yeah. we will see you in two weeks time uh, this podcast comes out every other thursday every other like thursday clockwork. this one's coming out just before halloween yep. so you might be listening to it on halloween and if you are i hope you're having a very spooky time so happy halloween everyone we'll see you in a couple of weeks and this is andy t with fragile minds goodbye